Welcome one and all to episode 76 of the Scum and Villainy podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and in my co-pilot seat, it's Noah DeGeorge. It's Noah DeGeorge. What's going on? The one and only, as far as Actually, we know. Actually, yes, the one and only. I don't think I've ever met anybody that has the same, uh, the same full name as me. Uh, definitely not the same last name that's uh that's not in my family so well you know. it's it's curious because you are on twitter are noah underscore de gorgeous was that just right. a personal choice or was the noah de george taken um no that was like that's okay so that was my nickname through most of high school because i got tired of the nickname eyebrows uh that was my initial nickname in <laughs> high so school mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh noah famously so, is a man so who glad. has quite uh thin are they just blonde or are they're they just blonde. really they're, they're just blonde, blonde. yeah so yeah. they they look they're fairly translucent brows where me on the other hand very thick i also got made fun of for my eyebrows just on the different side of the spectrum you yeah, know i was gonna say i'm glad that this is a not a visual media because <laughs> got a face for radio as they man, say those guys those guys are <laughs> listeners they're probably really mean <laughs> oh man or, or they think that the the hosts of this show are just dashingly handsome because of our, our, so. our, our broadcasting voices here so absolutely no no you are uh the as de gorgeous as ever i was just oh, wow. curious yeah oh, wow Thank as you. far as like my twitter name is concerned it took me a while there was a didn't you have Garrett to pay McDowell. somebody to no. get Garrett mcdowell <laughs> <laughs> um no they paid if you know what i mean uh, no, I I was just I waited. This person, their their tweets were protected, and they also just like I didn't feel like they didn't have very many followers, so I just assumed that they weren't very active. And so every like five months, I would check, and then eventually they did that account was gone. So I just you know I I, I swept in like a like a Y wing and uh, took that name, and now I'm forever at Garrett McDowell. Nobody's gonna take it from me. Not for wow. to pry it from my cold dead hands. That is uh, truly an uplifting story. <laughs> it's a real rags to riches <laughs> story, you know. Uh, Noah, we have, speaking of stories, lots of things to discuss today. Uh, Disney Plus was set a flurry uh, with new Star Wars content. Uh, not only do we get the uh, brand new episode of Andor, which we've been talking about for the past few weeks, but we also got the entirety of Tales of a Jedi. Um, all six episodes have officially dropped on Disney Plus. Um, you and I will not only be reviewing um, both of those uh, uh the episode as well as the uh the new series here but we also have a piece of news at the top here um yes our episode is going to be very full but this is a story that i honestly think that it would be a little silly to avoid because this seems mm -hmm. to be the yeah. big star wars news of the week um deadline and the hollywood reporter are both confirming that a new star wars movie is in the works so it was kind of like a, a nice tit for tat here uh i believe it was uh, uh, the Hollywood Reporter had initially reported this story that Sharmin uh, 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 Obad Shinoy, um, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, who is the director behind a lot of uh, episodes of Miss Marvel, um, was going to be working on this new uh, Star Wars movie uh, and, and directing it. And then I think it was Deadline or vice versa. I can't remember. It's been a long week. Uh, kind of came back and they were like, and yes, but also this. And so we kind of have this mishmash of, of articles and details that overall kind of paint this portrait. So 
the 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 what we've got here this entire seemingly sort of rundown of what this new star wars movie will be one of the many that are in works right now um chinoy uh obad chinoy is in talks to be officially directing this as we said uh, one of the directors of miss marvel um it will be co-written by damian lindelof something that you and i talked about i believe back in march man so, that was a long time ago that we talked about that yeah seemingly uh old news uh but yeah it's just been a few short months ago um, but he will be co-writing it with justin Britt gibson um, who he has uh, worked with before primarily a, a tv writer um, but lindelof uh, like we said uh, was kind of he was kicking around the, the lucasfilm lots so this is something that we knew uh, but justin's involvement uh, is a, a a new detail here um, so the script is still being written so story details are unknown however um, the rumor is that this movie will take place after the events of The Rise of Skywalker. Um, we do not know if Rey is going to be there, Ben Solo is going to be there as a ghost, Finn, Janna, Rose, all of the above. We don't know kind of the story as we had mentioned. Uh, and you may be asking yourself, no, why hasn't this been announced? Why isn't StarWars.com? Why hasn't uh, this been announced? Why yeah. isn't StarWars.com talking about this? <laughs> I read You read my mind. <laughs> or why was it announced at D23 or Star Wars Celebration? All of these other things. Mm -hmm. The reason apparently being, this comes from Puck News. Uh, it was reported by a former reported, uh, reporter for THR, but they're saying that Bob Chappick, uh, the CEO of the Mouse House, um, has apparently advised Miss Kathleen Kennedy to cease announcement of Star Wars projects until they are set in stone to kind of avoid or sidestep this potential for negative press surrounding the brand uh, of Star Wars as well as Lucasfilm. So lots to digest here, Noah. Where do you kind of start off here? Getting all of these details and, and everything, where do you land? What kind of uh, uh, stands out to you initially? So we talk a lot about kind of the, like, I guess the landscape of, of movies and streaming these days. And it's so funny that people will eat up a, uh, a Marvel press conference where it's like, guys, guess what's coming out when you're old and gray? Guess what's coming out in 40 years. We got the best lineup ever. Phase 17 is going to be a banger. Yeah. It's going to be sick. You got so much to look forward to and it's so far down the pipeline that you're you're just going to it's you're going to love it. You're going to love yeah. the anticipation, right? And people love doing this. I mean, I I had a little kind of uh, forlorn sense of the entertainment side uh, just recently when I had the pleasure, uh, if you want to call it that, of viewing Black Adam. Hey, uh, the, the hierarchy of the DC universe is about to change, Noah. Sure <laughs> I don't know if you heard. <laughs> uh, I hope that The Rock busts into this uh, this podcast. And well, just... he, I don't know if I told you. He, he busted you into the, the, the screening that I went to. I went and saw uh, Black Adam. This is totally unrelated to Star Wars, but... Uh, not to sidetrack this, but yeah, he came into the screening and he, the, the spotlight shone on the, the empty AMC door to where he initially walked through. Uh, and he said out of the shadows, the hierarchy of the DC universe is oh about to God. change. And I was like, yeah, that's insane. That is so nuts. So, um, so DJ of him. Anyways, yes, but continue. Uh, a lot of the, the press surrounding that, especially from, from Dwayne Johnson's point of view is talking about how this was something that was at least, you know, a announced, not necessarily confirmed, but announced all the way back in 2007, mm -hmm. um, that he would be playing black Adam. And that to me is like kind of that same energy of like, guys, 
this is going to happen. You just got to wait. It's going to happen. Um, And Marvel is on this train of doing this. So I understand that franchises as a whole, now Mm -hmm. Star Wars being in kind of this, you know, franchisable, you know, there's there's always something for everybody type thing that they also are going to want to say, stick around, guys. We got something coming in a few years um, or even longer than that. I understand it. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think with Disney kind of saying, whoa, 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 let's not get ahead of ourselves. That frustrates me just a little bit because, you know, I'm not saying that there's any kind of favoritism. Obviously, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is well established and doesn't have to worry about these kind of things. Um, These projects are going to happen no matter what. It's one of those things that I'm like, oh, man, I wish that they would, you know, maybe cut Star Wars some slack with this instead of, you know, letting Marvel walk all over the, you know, four years in advance and and pull a James Cameron and say that Avatar 5 is going to come out when you're, you know, 30 (laughs) years old. Yeah, when the sun engulfs the earth, we're going to finally see Avatar 6. (laughs) So I don't know. I just I it's a weird kind of sense of like, who's really the king of the castle here? And, you know, are there are there not that there are like internal problems or anything like that. I'm sure that there's not, there are, you know, two companies that have been working very well together for a, you know, for a long time now, something like seven or eight years. Um, but I think I understand the hesitation to have movies be a part of the conversation because it's a touchy subject when we're talking about straying away from the saga as a whole. Um, so I don't know, a little bit of mixed bag there, but overall I understand Kathleen Kennedy's kind of like, get ready for this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, do whatever you want. Um, Mm -hmm. I just know that, you know, if stuff does get pushed back or stuff gets kind of shelved, then that's not going to be a huge surprise to me. And that uh, we've talked about it before. That's not like a bad omen or anything. So I'm, I'm, I'm all right sitting here and kind of just waiting for the waters to settle a little bit to find out what exactly is going on. Yeah. You and I have talked before about just kind of as a podcast, how we kind of approach, you know, stories like these, it's, it's less, you know, the clickbaity, this is going to happen, get excited, everybody, but more of like, okay, this is what's being reported. The, the hypothetical of this, if this is the team that is being presented to us, what do we think about this? Also story details, post rise of Skywalker. What do we think about that? For me, as far as the crunchy Hollywood, you know, uh, you know, this is the, the news, my, my ears to the pavement kind of, kind of, you know, details here about the Bob Chapik and Kathleen Kennedy of it all. Uh, I don't necessarily think that there is smoke nor fire. I honestly think that Chappick is in the right here. Not even to say that Kathleen Kennedy is in the wrong. Who knows? Uh, you know, Bob Chappick could be the one who was encouraging her to announce Rogue Squadron and, uh, you know, the myriad of other projects that we are kind of floating around in the ether now. Who knows? However, this choice and this call here by Chappick, I support. You know, isolated in a vacuum, we don't really know what the context is, but I would rather this. Rather, okay, if we have a project that is in development, meaning that people are working on it, people are writing it, scripts are being kicked around, all of these things, I I think it's important to keep in mind, like, just because a script is being written doesn't mean that a movie is happening. I'm curious, just for the the hell of it, how many scripts are written for Black Adam? I'm genuinely curious, because, like, it makes me think of something like, you know, Freddy versus Jason, which had upwards (laughs) of, like, 
nearly like well over a dozen, like almost 20 or so scripts for that, for that movie, you know, until the final product that we eventually got. So all that to say is like, these movies can be in development hell for so long and just because somebody is working on a script and they've maybe had interest of a given director to to work on a thing also isn't necessarily this movie is going to come out on whatever date get excited for me i think it's a good idea to if this thing is greenlit and it's happening and production starts on this date awesome you know like that to me like something like skeleton crew i love how that you know eventually came out it was like we've got this director we've got this writing team we've got a cast and we're starting production soon like that's awesome i i, I love that sort of announcement of this is what we're we're sort of aiming uh, towards um we've talked about releases and these calendars and phase whatever the mcu fi of of star wars not necessarily something i need it's more of okay if you are going to announce all of these projects generally kind of where are these going to fall but i think right now with the the cinematic state of star wars and being relatively unknown at this point this kind of news being broken by a thr by a deadline for me is is fine when lucasfilm themselves at a d23 or a star wars celebration come out and say ryan johnson's going to be working on this trilogy and we're sitting there like for 10 years just kind of like okay when is it coming you know um, <laughs> uh, we we will eventually see it or we won't um however uh based on you know the creative team involved in this um charmine is a filmmaker that i'm not whose work i'm not terribly familiar with um i did watch miss marvel um she had a hand in directing two out of those episodes um i don't remember too much about the episodes that she directed as far as like stylistically you're concerned um she directed the episodes time again time and again and then seeing red um i would have to see as far as those two episodes were those were those highs for me were those lows um off the top of my head i can't super super remember um however she is um a double uh, oscar winner she has two oscars under her uh, under her belt here for uh short subject documentaries which is great that's awesome yeah i mean that uh, that tells me that she's got an eye with a camera so 100 yeah. and she has an eye for storytelling and uh for humanity i know i'm looking here the episode time and again was the one where uh kamala went back and uh you know interacted with her uh her parents i believe the series uh, and she was you know kind of going back in time and uh ebenezer scrooging it where she was like on the yes. outside just kind of watching everything <laughs> i remember that being an episode that i really enjoyed um as far as uh lindelof and justin Britt gibson uh, uh Britt gibson is not a writer who again whose work i'm terribly familiar with uh, mostly tv stuff which i am uh not as as well read on um however Justin or Damian Lindelof I'm a, is a writer I'm very familiar with and very fond of. In fact, you and I had talked about this um, uh, when this news was announced, and I think that that's great. Uh, I think he yeah. is super, super talented. I love his perspective uh, and his introspection into these series. I love how he captured the heart and the soul of something like Watchmen and was able to reflect it on itself in a really fascinating way reflect but then also push the series forward which is something that I think is very Star Wars um, so I can't wait to see what they cook up if it is happening I think uh, you know there's a relative good chance but I wanted to ask kind of the elephant in the room here and the one that seemed to be the biggest headlines here is that the events of this will supposedly be post the rise of Skywalker 
kind of what is your reaction to that? And does that mean that you think we will be getting, you know, the sequel trilogy characters? Or is that even something that you want in general? I don't know. It's one of those things where you when you have an open door like this, um, you know, at, at least such a wide open door, the first instinct is to fill it with things that you're familiar with. So, the you know, the question comes up, would this be something where we see the New Republic um, kind of taking at least not taking control of the galaxy, but uh, rebuilding after the first order sort of decimated things. Um, and then at that point, is that, does that become something that we're already familiar with? Um, or, you know, are we going to jump to another, uh, another galaxy wide threat um, mm -hmm. and have that be the familiar place? I would really, really hope that we stray away from those things in a sense that the world or the, you know, the galaxy that we return to, um, would be different in the sense that, you know, things are not repeating themselves now, at least the lessons that I hope that are learned from the Skywalker saga is that there can truly be balance at a certain point. Um, and I would hope that that is, you know, that the rise of Skywalker, all things considered, is that point of finally reaching some kind of balance. And what does that world look like after the mm -hmm. fact? And does that mean that Jedi are going to come back in full force? And then at that point, are we going to repeat the prequels? Are we going to repeat the High Republic? So it's it's difficult to, to imagine where, what this might be. I think that all things considered, um, I can maybe understand some characters from the Skywalker saga, or at least from the sequel trilogy, sort of being not necessarily idolized, but being kind of the quote unquote legends characters of whatever's going to come next. And I would be okay with that, yeah. um, maybe on a smaller scale, um, mostly because I'd love to see, I obviously want to see some new things, but I would love to at some point return to a character like Finn you know, kind of uh, going into training or Ray starting uh, a new Jedi, you know, academy, I guess, or if you want to call it that. Um, but I think all things considered, I can see where maybe um, a semi-important character shows up as the, you know, you're the legendary insert name here. Yeah. Um, and that can be kind of where this kicks off of. Um, there's a lot of options there. I think that a lot of, a lot of resistance members, um, would be really good to fit in this role because surprisingly the sequel trilogy has a lot of characters that I don't think have reached their full potential as what they can do in star Wars. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think where my, <clears throat> just as far as the writing team is involved here in the direction as well, um, and just kind of a quick glimpse at um, Justin's resume uh, and what he's been involved with, as well as Damian Lindelof. They seem to have more of a more grounded perspective on this, um, whereas somebody like a John Favreau, for example, is usually these maybe more larger than life stories or these stories that have more of a typical kind of blockbuster perspective. Um, and then uh, Charmaine, in looking at the documentaries that she's proposed, um, not only are the documentaries uh, very people focused, uh, focused on specific profiles or something like this, but then also the subjects of which seemingly all have been, you know, maybe not all again, I'm not very familiar with her work, but the ones that she's kind of been most critically acclaimed for are these people who have been affected by tragedy or displaced by tragedy or these major world events. And how do the people maybe not at the core of it, like a Ray or an Anakin or a Luke Skywalker, but these people who have been affected by the ripple 
you know, how are, how are those people impacted by this? I think that that's a really fascinating story. And my mind goes to a story like a lost stars to where you're seeing these two people who are in the midst of all of this, but how is their relationship? How is their humanity impacted? Um, and, and how do they find each other? Uh, but then also themselves in this time, I think that's a story that I would be really interested to see for me. You know, we've talked about, I'm just generally okay with not diving in into another three episode uh, trilogy right now post the rise of Skywalker. If we are going to do that, I'd rather go backwards and do the high Republic, old Republic, whatever. Um, but a, another, you know, a star Wars episode 10 isn't something that I'm itching to see. Um, so with that being said, I would be fine with just kind of like a one-off movie about these characters. And if people really like it, maybe we could return to it. So to me, I think that hers is very character driven. Um, uh, Damien Lindelof uh, and Justin Britt Gibson seem to have more of a grounded espionage perspective even. Um, and so that's something that I would be um, really fascinated to see, uh, you know, with the hands of Star Wars. And I think something like Andor proves that there is an appetite uh, and then also a willingness from Disney to show, you know, different flavors of what star Wars can be. I think that's something that we've seen um, a lot recently is, is the flexibility of the definition of star Wars. And um, I think uh, Lindelof and company uh, are really going to lend to this. So whatever the story uh, ends up being, if Poe is going to lead the mission to do a whatever, great. You know, uh, we'll obviously be talking about that as soon as we get details. Uh, but if right now, just kind of file it into the maybe category you know <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm okay with maybe for now honestly exactly be okay with maybe uh that's the the bumper sticker of the day um moving on from there noah the episode eight of andor has officially dropped on disney plus titled narkina five um you and i were very high on last week's episode uh it was a personal favorite for me um, and so uh, going in here, we, you know, getting getting introduced into the 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 the, the you know, the, how these episodes are kind of structured, these three episode arcs, all of that. You and I were curious to see where episode eight was going to to leave us. We're in the second half of the season. So what is your reaction to Narkina five? Well, I'm going to go general thoughts here. Um, and I think. In this sense, for me, um, because there always has to be one, I would say personally, this would be my low of the season. Um, and only in the sense that I think every other episode does a killer job of kind of proving why it needs to be there. Um, and I'm, you know, that's not a requirement for every episode of a television series is to prove why it needs to exist. Um, but I think that at least in this context, um, it probably, just in my opinion, does not stand alone as, okay, this is progress that we are making that we can track and say, I can, I, I know what to expect for next week. Um, and, you know, this is where we've come. This is where it's leading to. I think that this is sort of, you know, maybe it's a calm before a storm. Maybe it's, you know, building to some kind of grand event. I mean, I know that it is. I, realistically, I know that it is because I've seen the trailer and I know where this ends up. Mm -hmm. um, but at least here in this single episode, I think that I need to wait until episode nine to really gather 
how I truly fully feel about episode eight. Um, and that's a feeling that I have not had this, this entire show before. I think that every episode so far, even though, yes, we've talked about the structure a lot. Um, every episode so far builds off of the previous and it takes those things and sort of amps them up just a little bit, just keep, you know, it, it kind of, continues to amp things up until there's a breaking point to, to, to show that these things are happening as a result of, right? I think for me, this episode goes in a lot of different places that says, hey, we're setting this up. Um, but realistically, I'm not fully understanding the stakes here. And I think that part of that is that we don't get a lot of focus on Cassie in this episode. A lot of our focus is kind of away from that and hints towards things that may happen, things towards it, it hints towards things that may not happen. Um, and sort of just the general feeling of, of where things are at right now as a result of the uh, events of the previous episodes. It's a little bit weird because it feels like it coasts on the events of episode six, where as, you know, episode seven having that direct consequence uh episode eight still feels like more consequence it doesn't feel like a continuation of these things um it just sort of feels like explaining more of you know why things have been happening and where certain characters are at in a way that i don't feel like many of them change i think we see a lot more um i mean obviously we see a lot more of mon mothma and a little bit more of luthan but nothing has progressed at this point with them to the, you know, to the extent that at the end of episode eight, I can say, okay, we were here. Now we're at this point, And that's hopefully going to lead to such and such and such. Um, I do think that out of all of them, um, I think it could have been worse and, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about why, but thankfully, uh, he wasn't there for that long. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so I was wondering how long it would take for you to bring it up. You know, you're like, you know, this episode was a season low for me. And I was like, huh, I wonder why <laughs> it wasn't that it wasn't all that. I swear, I swear I'm not biased. No, um, <laughs> that was, that was a minute part of it and even still we'll talk about it um yeah i think that there's honestly i think that that's one of the juiciest moments of the episode um so we'll talk about it yeah interesting yeah i for me i think you when you and i you and i have done this show for uh, a little bit now we're we're uh getting closer to a uh, episode 100 you know faster than we're going away from it by the uh, day yeah by the day by the week yeah for sure uh and i think generally you and i are pretty lockstep and stuff but i am like vehemently uh uh you know opposite of you here really? I, I love this episode i okay, thought wait, this wait, was wait. I, need to, awesome I need to say, episode. I need to say one more thing i need to say one more thing <laughs> yes go ahead okay here's my thing um, I have not listened to anyone else talk about it. Okay. okay. And so I've well, only get been ready to, <laughs> right. Exactly. Get, get ready. Noah. <laughs> I've only been sitting, I've only been sitting with it with myself. Um, mm -hmm. and that, like that whole thing is, okay. I don't need somebody to explain why this episode is great. Um, but I see these things and I'm like, okay, that's good stuff. I'm not, satiated and I don't think that like I don't think I'm getting all of it there must be something I'm missing here you know it's it's kind of one of those feelings so I'm excited to talk about it today that's why I have I, I said up top I have a lot of thoughts yeah. not that there's anything that is like rubbing me the wrong way mm -hmm. but that 
I really need to, I really need to figure out like what this episode wasn't doing for me because I'm not sure what it is. And if yeah. there's something that I missed, then here is the, you know, here's a, a, a damn good enough place to talk about it, I guess. Totally. Yeah. I mean, for me, you and I, uh, really loved last week's episode, which I thought just clearly laid out these different character perspectives on what is happening here and how all of these characters are responding to this Imperial reign. And I think that this episode only further continues that in a really fascinating way, but hyper-focusing on, the rebellion more in a capital R sort of way of when you have this oppressive boot that is stepping on the galaxy, it's going to splinter these factions in a different way. And when you have this removed, isolated, you want as an empire, they're wanting the galaxy to feel kind of alone and scared and that nobody is willing to stand up to this oppression. And I think that this episode does such a great job of showing the different avenues of rebellion in a way that isn't just like an interpersonal sense, but in more of like a practical sense of if we are going to rebel against these people, how do we even go about that? How do we communicate with others without putting ourselves and loved ones in danger? And then also you know, you were talked about the character progression, which I don't fully disagree with. And as far as like, you know, Mon Mothma doesn't behave super differently from episode seven to the word she does here. But I think this episode is just more of a continuation of that as to where Cassian was at a point to where he was like, I got what was mine. Uh, I'm, I'm out of this heist. I'm, I have no appetite for rebellion. I'm going to keep my head down. And as long as I do that, the empire won't bother me. Right. And then like, you know, in this episode, we kind of get to see just how wrong he is. We also get to be introduced or reintroduced to these other members and these other threats. We finally get a union of these two uh, antagonists that we've been really wanting to see. We also see, you know, as far as the other members of the galaxy, when the, the grip of the empire tightens, how do people respond to that people like Luthen um he's dishing out advice to you know people that we'll talk about in this episode and saying uh well you know kind of wagging his finger and this is how you should uh kind of be you should be uniting with others around you but then you know the the hypocrisy of all of that I thought was really fascinating also to see um what's going on with Vel and Cinta and how they're responding to rebellion I thought was all really great and then like above all like this is like just as far as just a filmmaking side of things, like one of the most tense episodes of star Wars television, like this thing was like a horror movie, you know, seeing them put in this terrible situation and seeing just how hopeless everything feels. I thought that this episode did such a great job of making us as an audience feel the grip of the empire and say, you had mentioned it last week of a lot of times in star Wars, it's just kind of like, well, stormtroopers are here now and they're, you know, they're occupying things or they're maybe questioning some people or you kind of have to be suspicious about, you, you know, you kind of don't want to, you know, raise alarm and you don't want to raise suspicion. But I, this episode does such a great job of just because you're not doing anything wrong doesn't mean that you're safe. The Empire will make up reasons, you know, uh, or they will find something that you're doing, you know, not quite to their to their standards. And we get to see kind of the, the aftermath of that. So um, I thought this was a really great episode. And uh, I'm glad that you are um, also uh, open to other uh, perspectives and everything. And I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this episode. So I say let's go ahead and dive on in. Uh, for me, this is another uh, big two thumbs up episode. I thought this was this was really great. So I'm curious to yeah. see where your thumbs are at. This is for me. And like I said, a personal low in the sense that this is a casual one thumb up for me. 
Like this is not, it's not at all a bad episode. Yeah. Um, I have some questions about some character stuff that is, you know, it's not necessarily warranting questions, but that sort of sense of like, okay, am I missing something here? Or is there more to this maybe that we can hope for or connect back to or something like that? But I think a casual one thumb up for me is good, mostly because like you said, it's as an episode, it is, it is truly tense. It's one of those things where we just don't get this a lot in Star Wars. And it's, I mean, what a blessing truly to get yeah. to get a uh, a Shawshank Redemption uh, in right. It, well, a half of a Shawshank Redemption in uh, Star Wars. More of a more of a, an eight mile, I guess. But uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. Um, but there's also some other references to some other uh, George Lucas works in here that I'm very excited to mm, yes. to talk about too. But yeah, let's go ahead and dive on in. Uh, the episode begins where we left Cassian following his sentencing for his, uh, you know, so-called crimes, if you even want to call it that, strolling on the beach. Um, he is forced into a transport where he is sent to Narkina 5. Uh, just as far as like moments of tension, this was a really great place to start is the stormtroopers are pushing and shoving and yelling and Cassian, like the audience, just has no idea of where he is going for what reason. You know, they ask him, you know, his name and they say, you go to this one, you go to this transport, the other people you go to this transport. And it's like, why am I going to this one rather than that one? You know, and we finally get, you know, what uh, the reasons why Cassian is sent to this planet. And that's because he has been deemed uh, suitable for work. Um, uh, and I just, yeah, I just thought there was so much fear uh, and uncertainty in this episode in particular. And I thought that this moment just really showed like the oppression of the empire in, in such a great way. Yeah. There's something about ha- having, at least for most of this episode, uh, Cassian doesn't really speak a whole lot. Um, and his constant look is just this one of like deer in headlights, mm-hmm. super like on the verge of just like freaking out. Yeah. Um, which maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm like, ah, oh, I miss, I miss hearing Cassian and or talk. You miss that I, sweet, sweet Diego Luna voice. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's what, that's what this episode was missing for me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, um, this prison, uh, on Narkina five that, uh, Cassian is sent to is using their inmates to construct military equipment. So they're putting them to work, which is one of the many very real world political ideas that is running throughout all of the show. But this episode in particular, um, this idea of uh, the you know prison industrial complex and how it's using workers in prison, kind of slave labor, but not really reducing you know uh, paying them at such a minimal fee to produce these things. And yeah, it's it's very complicated. But uh, as all Star Wars does, I think it tackles this issue uh, with uh, a really you know a cutting kind of condemnation of this, but applying it in a way that is totally in lockstep with this galaxy far far away i didn't really feel like at all to where it kind of outsteps the boundaries of star wars and it's like that's oh, too real world for me i think that this you know what the empire is doing here is something that is very dark side very empire um and, and we'll definitely talk about all of that for sure yeah, they're not. Uh, they're definitely not just uh, making license plates uh, in in this <laughs> in this complex. I mean, that's like the yeah. what is that? The typical prison thing is like these are my these. people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're. This is fully, you know, yeah. fully kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, 
Yeah. Okay. That, that really isn't sure. the best thing. I mean, 10 hour shifts and you're, and also you're graded on these things. For Ugh, sure. Yikes. Uh, constant surveillance. And, and we'll kind of talk about, you know, tangibly what seems to, to happen when not only if you, if you do well, but you also do poorly because, um, at this prison, Noah, if the inmates get out of line, they are shocked with an electric electrified, wow, electrified floor. Um, this, to me, this entire prison really seemed like like one big montage to George Lucas's not only short film, but theatrical film, uh, THX 1138, um, which if you haven't seen as a Star Wars fan, as a film fan, I think you really owe it to yourself. You see a lot of DNA in that uh, of what Lucas would later be inspired by. Um, and was also, if you're just a Star Wars fan and you want to know the history of things, it's great to see. And then also to see, like, that's what got George the job to do Star Wars. Like, that's kind of what his his green light, that in American Graffiti, of course. So if you haven't done it, uh, do yourself a favor. I believe it's available to watch online for like maybe a dollar or two, something like that. So um, lots of visual homages to it, but also a lot of um, more, I you know, uh, thematic homages as well. So um, always great to see a, a little tip of the cap uh, to Mr. Yeah. George. Lucas. Yeah, I, I'm sure that we'll even get a little bit more of that in the next episode, um, especially knowing how that movie, uh, how that movie goes. Yeah. Yes, of course. Of course. Um, Cassian uh, is now introduced to uh, his fellow inmates that he will be working uh, with uh, in even against. Apparently, uh, he's introduced to all these details by Kino Loy, who is portrayed by Mr. Andy Circus. Um, it was one of those things where like, I heard his voice and I was like, wait a minute. Who is yeah. what? You know, it was great to see him. What a surprise. Well, I I was shocked at first and then like very nice, probably, very nice. probably like uh, three quarters of the way through the episode, I was like, wait a minute. This yeah. is a Star Wars double. Andy yeah. Circus is already Snoke. That's right. Wait, yeah. What? Well, uh, I, I don't know if you've seen online, Noah. Kino Lloyd, this might be an origin story of Snoke. You know, maybe oh, he gets electrified. Oh, maybe he, he's not wearing the boots, of course. The, the the security officers at this prison don't have the boots. So if you're, the, it's like the ultimate floor is lava. Uh, and apparently Kino Lloyd doesn't quite make it. And he gets electrified and electrocuted so much that he becomes Snoke. So um, I don't know if you saw that, Noah, but that was confirmed. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and look up uh, these these fan theories. I'm sure there's a new Rockstars video explaining to me why I'm dumb and stupid and should believe this theory. Yeah. I'll watch it, uh, and I will begrudgingly not comment how dumb that would be, uh, because that's dumb, actually. That's very silly, but nonetheless, I was so excited to see Andy Serkis, because not only is he a terrific motion capture you know, actor, but an actor in his, in his own right. He's very, very talented. Uh, it's always a pleasure to see him in his, you know, Andy Circus, not in the pajamas or anything or uh, under a, a CGI uh, ape you know, uh, uh, rendition <laughs> or anything, but just to see him showing up in pajamas in a different sense, you know, yes. uh, and almost his butt also <laughs> almost his butt. Yeah. It was really great to, uh, to see him in this. And yeah, he brings so much, um, he brings so much to this role in a, in a really, really nice way because he explains to Cassian that each of these tables working, you know, kind of works against not only the other six tables in this room, but each room wholly, you know, works against the other, rooms and the other floors in the prison. Um, and all of this is in the name of, you know, productivity. And I thought that this episode does such a great job and is one of my favorite things about this prison is showing how, you know, like when, when this grip of the empire is talking, something that I are kind of already alluded to when, when, when they tighten their grip, 
how it impacts the galaxy. And even in a kind of like a microcosm sense of this prison, the empire is forcing these people to work. They're forcing them to be productive. And that's really the name of the game. They are prioritizing productivity over humanity. And in that they are pitting these inmates against one another. And in doing so, I think makes these inmates really lose sight of who their real enemy is. There's another moment later on in this episode to where something happens to an inmate and they're kind of like, great. Now we're going to, you know, our table's going to lose tomorrow and everything. And it's, you know, they, they don't have this sense of humanity of look what happened to my friend or this person that I've worked with for so long. It is all about productivity and it is all about, you know, kind of staying in your lane, focusing on what's yours. Kino Loy talks about when he first meets Cassie and he says, I have these many days left and I, you know, intend to, you know, get them done as quickly, quickly and as painlessly as possible. So I thought it was great that you and I have talked about, you know, the the levels of power and that sort of, you know, uh, how that affects these characters and how it affects Cyril Karn uh, and, and, you know, uh, uh, Chief Hine, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the commander on, um, on the planet, you know, uh, and, and how that affected him as well. And I thought that even the small amount of power that, uh, Loy has here has affected him as well. So I thought that this prison and how it, they're pitting the inmates against one another was just such a great example of what the empire in just, you know, these, you know, oppressive forces do and how rebellion is sort of stifled out even among the people who are being oppressed. Yeah. And I think that, you know, at least something that, something that came up to me in this, uh, with this sort of explanation and what we eventually see is that, Cassian's understanding of not only, you know, not just the consequences of his actions in terms of how the, uh, the resentencing act is passed because of his actions or yeah, his involvement. The, the, uh, the P O R D as it is, uh, revealed to us. Yes. Um, so not only how that affects, you know, the other inmates, but their response to that, um, and his involvement in rebellious activity has sort of, you know, it has so many stakes. It's not just, oh, well, now my home is occupied. My home planet is occupied by the empire or, oh, now, you know, I'm getting arrested. No, it's, you know, goes beyond that to all these inmates who are, you know, suffering and not only suffering, but are, you know, becoming sort of brainwashed um, because of the empire and the lengths that the empire is willing to go to, to, like you said, kind of stifle out um, whatever's going on and, and really crush people down to their most primitive human behaviors is something that's really interesting. I hope that that's another, you know, sort of another point in the rebellion's favor and Andor's eyes is, is to see these things and see that there are consequences and there are stakes. Um, because I think this is kind of a huge, like sort of punch in the gut, like wake up call type, uh, type scene, you know? 
Yeah, and we also get introduced to some of the other inmates who will be working at this specific table. I also, I'm sure Pablo Hidalgo and, and other Star Wars viewers who are smarter than I know what they're building. I'm curious to see if it's like a TIE fighter part or like, I kind of want it to be something dumber than that, you know? Like, I don't want it to be like, oh, we're building, in, you know, a piece of an engine, you know, for a TIE fighter. I want it to be something like really silly, you know? <laughs> like Yeah, like, like we're building a knee joint of an ATAT. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Like yeah, that. like something something small and sort of trivial and just, you know, like they're they're working so hard and people are dying over something that the Empire is just kind of like, oh, that thing. Oh, that like rotates the food at the cafeteria, you know, in the barracks, <laughs> like something like that, you know, something ridiculous. But yeah, we get introduced to some of these other inmates. Uh, one of them's name is Ham. Which, yep. <laughs> is, as far as Star Wars names are concerned, that's one of the worst. That's so terrible. But yeah. poor that guy. Yeah. Well, you know. it's funny because we were like, oh, Keith Gergo. That's a pretty <laughs> bad name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then there was Tim uh, earlier in the show too. So yeah, Andor is just a bevy full of uh, of uh, bad Star Wars names uh, or great Star Wars names, depending on your definition here. Yeah. Uh, but then we are also introduced or reintroduced, I should say, to Melshi, who some eagle-eyed Star Wars viewers um, were quick to know that is a character who appears in Rogue One. Um, so I'm curious to see uh, how that allyship forms over this. Uh, that was great. That was something that totally went over my head. But uh, if you are familiar with the movie Rogue One, he is the one that breaks Jin out of the prison at the beginning of the movie. And then he's also later in the Battle of Scarif. So um, that's great. I'm very excited to spend more time with that character. And now you know, hopefully if we spend more time with them watching Rogue One, I'll be like, oh, it's Melshi, you know, whereas now I was like, who? Melshi? What's that? So <laughs> well, not going to lie, I, I had to had to look it up on Wikipedia, but great. Yes, I noticed, I noticed that they were like, hey, keep an eye out for this guy because he's definitely important and we're going to we're going to linger on him for just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, mm, something fishy's going on here. Absolutely. I don't know that guy's face at all, but yeah. I'm about to. Yeah, this episode is full of a lot of moments to where it's kind of like, hey, audience, pay attention. This is this might be important later. One of mm -hmm. those things is that, um, as I mentioned, the guards have these special lined boots um, to protect them against the electrified floors of the prison. And then also, notably, they even mention the fact that they don't have weapons. Uh, when Cassian is first brought into the prison, they're like, you might even be wondering why we don't have weapons. Well, you know, and then zap. So uh, that's obviously going to play a role in that later on we even see a room that like where the boots are kept so uh, I'm sure all of that is going to uh, be brought up or be very key into the inevitable let's be honest prison break you know uh, uh, Cassian's not going to do all six years um, so we also get um, you know in, in examples of other things that will no doubt play a key role in some of the the escape that's happening here um, one of the inmates that Cassian is working with um, is communicating with another group using sign language um, just a tidbit I was very curious to see if it's the same sign language that was used between the Tuscans and the Mandalorian um, or if this is closer to like an ASL kind of thing because as we had mentioned when the news broke the the, the sign language was created by uh, Tony Secure who is the Oscar winning actor uh, of CODA but he came in as a, a consultant and actor uh, and created this sign language specifically for Star Wars. So I'm very curious to see um, if it's the exact same. No, no, no knowledge of that. I'm just kind of curious in my own Star Wars brain because I think that'd be really cool if they kept that in continuity. You know, I think that'd be great. Yes, I would. I would love some uh, some continuity in 
outside languages. Uh, part of that for me was that I noticed that with their uh, with their cells, they have the remaining number of days uh, yeah. on their sentence. Um, and this was something that we mentioned before. I think it was uh, during Obi Wan Kenobi um, that they have just regular numbers, like a you know, like a an earthly numerical system of one, twos, threes, four, you know, so yeah. on and so forth, which is just funny to me. Um, yeah, but they're they're still a little you know stylized, obviously. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm struggling to think now, but I think that Star Wars, you know, I, I'm sure that Star Wars has had, you know, numbers and such, you know, they say numbers, you know, like right, uh, right. when C-3PO says he's not saying a different thing, you know, but I guess also they're saying English too. So uh, I just know that like in A New Hope, they had actual English and then they had to change it for the special edition to basic. So I'm curious. I can't think of off the top of my head where numbers show back up in Star Wars. I'm curious. I, I Can you think of any moments throughout the films or anything? Not, not off the top of my head, honestly. I mean, I, it'd have to be a pretty eagle-eyed thing. I know with a lot of doors and, and, you know, screens and whatnot, there'd be like elevator floors or something like that. But again, they say like, you know, detention level seven or whatever. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking here. Uh, a quick Google doesn't, uh, let me know, um, uh, on, on either side, obviously we have like the TK numbers and everything, but I think that's mostly just spoken. So, um, I'm curious. I wonder if this is the first time there's probably oh, something and fives. Duh. <laughs> oh, like on a, their helmet. He's got that's a true. five on his that's helmet. True. That's true. Yeah. CT five, five, five. What a good five, poll. What man. a good poll. Yeah. So yeah, I'm curious to see other times that this has shown up, but it also just was like, what a, you know, in for some, like, you know, uh, with Kino Loy, like it's probably a liberating thing or like a light at the end of the tunnel. But for others, I'm like, how torturous would that be, you know, to be working and be like those, you know, those seven last days that I just had are one out of, you know, six years, you know, like thousands potentially of days that you could have, like, how terrible is that? And then one day they're just like, Oh yeah, that sentence that you had doubled, you know, like it's just, <laughs> yeah, absolutely brutal. Uh, yeah. Big, like kind of like, you know, count of Monte Cristo sort of like uh hash marks on the wall, like that kind of thing yeah. it was just absolutely, um, absolutely terrible. Um, but speaking of which, uh, the P O R D's is kind of what we're talking about here. The, the new directive, um, enacted uh, by the empire to crack down on rebel activity. Um, this is the kind of what we had been warned about, or more accurately, um, what Luthen had been warned about from Mon Mothma and saying that the emperor is going to react and he's probably going to overreact. So I thought that this was a really great way of seeing that kind of ripple impact the other members of the galaxy, people who are already being punished even more. So it's just like, what's the reasoning of that? You know, the, just, like, here's another, you here's know? another 200 <laughs> days this. or something. It's yeah. They're literally in prison for the sentencing that's already happened. Like that's just uh, craziness, you know? And again, is really showing in a nice tangible way of the empire, like tightening its grip and seeing this, you know, reign of, of this terror throughout the galaxy. I thought it was great, but also like just so hopeless, you know? Well, and even that, um, one of the things that I really love about this episode is um, there's sort of a uh, like a familiar banter that Andor has with one of his uh, cell block mates um, where the guy asks him, so what did you do? Yeah. And and 
Andor obviously responds nothing. Yeah. Right. This is like something that we get in like every prison movie. Yeah. Where super. Like, so you already mentioned Shawshank, like a direct yes. moment in Shawshank. They're like, what did, what did you do? Oh, nothing. And you know, the response is kind of like, yeah, everybody, that's what everyone says. Or, you yeah. know, oh, we got oh, another one, you know? Yeah. Yes. But his response is, yeah, we've been getting a lot of that lately. Right. Yeah. And it like that hurt. That hurt a lot where yeah. you you just get people that are popping up in prison that are like, I didn't even do anything. And there's so many to the point where it's like, uh, do you guys know what's going on? Like they yeah. ask Cassian, like, what's going on out there? Because yeah. things are not doing things are not going well down here you know yeah and i was expecting it to go that shawshank route to where you know uh in that movie you know that's a something that when new inmates are brought in they're like i didn't do anything and they're like yep you know like that's everybody <laughs> everyone's yes. in here for nothing you know like that's a direct plot point in shawshank but i loved in this that you're right it kind of zigs when you expect it to zag and that one of these characters is like and you know, we've been getting a lot of that recently like it's a new thing that like the empire has in it's that tightening of its grip people have been kind of you know now trapped under that shadow that it's casting over the galaxy and and even in that they ask cassian you know he's the newest one what has he heard about these new pords their sentence just got elongated so they kind of want to know why and cassian doesn't really know about what's happening here which i think is true however what's not true is they ask him about this robbery that happened and this this attack against the empire and he plays ignorant you know and i think rightfully so you know if you're now in a prison and you look around and all of these guys sentences just got doubled because of something that you did specifically um i think it's very smart of him to be like uh what heist that's crazy you know <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that's that that'd be my my immediate reaction yeah and in this moment too like he interacts with some of the other inmates who were like don't even look at that number you're never getting out of here um all of that and there's also just like talking about moments of tension there was just one to where like uh they had mentioned that the the you know the floor when the lights flash white like it's gonna go hot meaning like if you're on the ground you're gonna get electrocuted and also potentially die um and then kino loy is like all right floor is gonna get hot like everybody into your bunks and everybody kind of hops in at different times you know some people who seemingly have been there for longer know kind of like how long it's gonna take and cassian is the last one off of the floor i was just like cassian move like <laughs> <laughs> yes get yeah. in the bed like it just made me like super anxious that he is on the floor until literally the last possible moment i don't know what that says about me but i was just like i would have been off the floor immediately like that sounds absolutely terrible but yeah why push your luck man why push exactly it? <laughs> exactly and then also we get to learn one of the best you talked about just moments of like god that's just so what like what a gut punch the one of them for me is when he's being shown his cell they're like okay this is where you you know this is where you can get food this is where you can go to the bathroom and they're like oh yeah this is your food tube <laughs> that you pull yeah. out of the wall <laughs> and you suck on like a straw and then oh yeah if you get first place uh out of you know the the floor here your food gets flavor meaning that mm. if you get second place consistently you get this probably like tasteless or even bad tasting sludge like i assume would be like a like a toothpaste consistency or something like Ugh, just yeah literally these people fighting for scraps against one another and just like that to me was horrible is that you have this 
day where you presumably you don't get much time to yourself, pretty backbreaking. And then also I would imagine like you're not just sitting there pushing a button, like you actually have to construct this thing and work together and you get to go home to this crowded, cramped cell and then your sludge tube, your food tube, <laughs> it's just like, God, like again, I just felt so hopeless watching this. It was just terrible. I mean, it gave me a really big Snowpiercer vibes, uh, yeah, something like sure. that. That's just like, God, these conditions are something that like just seeing it is really, really gut wrenching, yeah. you know? No, no. Yeah. No, thanks to the food tube. I'd rather be a part of the, part of, uh, the rebellion there. That sounds absolutely terrible. Mm. Uh, but no, we get to uh, be reunited with Miss Dedra Miro, um, who has finally met Cyril Karn. We had kind of been waiting for that for a while because you and I both felt that their sort of journeys that they've gone on at this point, their dedication to duty uh, and and their mandate. I thought that they would be a really nice pair for one another. So we finally get to see them interact. Uh, so Karn has been, uh, they interrupted his work day. He was at his little uh, space cubicle uh, <laughs> and they, they, they took him from work. They brought him to this point to where uh, he is being interrogated about his knowledge or even apparent lack of knowledge about the attack on Ferrix. Um, and regarding this accomplice, uh, Cassian's accomplice, who the Empire has codenamed Axis, um, Axis, of course, being Luthen, um, Karn kind of claims that he's really not much help. Uh, he only really knows Luthen's voice, which I thought was an interesting point because it kind of made me think of like, okay, when did when did Luthen talk? And if you go back and watch, it's when. Cassian is, has a gun to Karn's head and Luthen like urges Cassian to kill him. So even Luthen's own like cutting off Lucen's sort of paranoia here is specifically what gets him potentially um, in trouble. So what did you think about this final or this, you know, first uh, meeting between Miro and Karn, something that you and I had kind of been anticipating for a while? Well, I, I have a couple of things. One, is it just me or does Karn look like, does he look worse? He looks like bad. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know what mom it is. has really brought up, you know, taking him down for a little like, bit. Maybe it's just the fact that he's like doing a nine to five in an office where everybody looks the same. Hey, I get that. You know, like, yeah, it's, I mean, maybe it's that he's wearing like a, a suit that's not very complimentary, but. I don't know. I'd have to take like side by side pictures because he legitimately looks like different. He looks like really like kind of sickly and sour and just a little bit more gaunt. I don't know. In my opinion, like all up until now, I've been like this Karn guy, he could get it. He could get it. <laughs> but like in this episode, he looks rough. He looks so worse for wear. Yeah. Um, that's just something for me. I really urge you to go back and take a look at it because something would just wasn't right, man. Some, I don't yeah, know. Karn is not doing the look for you. You sound like his mom. It's like, I don't know if it's the <laughs> suit, that's just not very, no, I, I get what your, you're saying. Your collar, your collar makes you look desperate. That's yeah. I'm wondering, is. I'm wondering if it's the lighting or something like that, or I wonder if it is an intentional choice from either the actor uh, or even maybe the makeup team to put some extra bags under his eyes. You know, I get that, you know, he's yeah. working, as we said, in a space cubicle sounds terrible. Uh, yes. probably the worst. Um, yeah, I, I've seen some funny edits online 
line of like, you know, the SpongeBob like cutaway to was like coming to bed, dear. Like, yes, you know, yes. like I've seen that, but with Andor and like Cyril Karn like going to work. So uh, yeah, I imagine the uh, the old nine to five is probably uh, wearing wearing them down uh, uh, for sure. Um, um, well, that's that's my one thing there. That's just like a side thing. Um, another side thing with this conversation that they have mm-hmm. um, is I love that they are uh, that they are codenaming Luthen Axis. I think that that's awesome. And I think that it's awesome because I think this is the, again, I've not listened to anybody else talk about this. I think that maybe this is, at least in some respect, it's a little bit on the nose. Um, But this is, I think, kind of the beginning of Fulcrum um, as a you know, kind of as a recurring code name kind Mm -hmm. of character, uh, description. Um, and I, the only reason I say that is because access and fulcrum are two words that are sort of, you know, sort of definition wise linked. Um, and having that, that character that serves that purpose of an axis being, you know, the central point of an object that, you know, is rotating where a fulcrum is the central point of balancing between two things. Um, it's, it's really, really curious to me that they one, give him a code name for somebody that they don't even know who it is. Right. They, they obviously have to name him something. They have to put in their reports, a name for something, it's just very curious that they give him a name that actually means something that, correlates with this that's obviously intentional so i think that that's really cool i wonder if we'll we'll see any kind of follow-up to that um but in general um yeah this conversation is really interesting because karn is given his his like sort of his element of like you need to read this report. I need your sort of best estimate of what's going on here. I'm asking for your advice type thing and in this sort of you know somewhat of an interrogation. It's not really an interrogation. Um, but in this interrogation, in this setting, um, he feels the need to like prove himself and feels the need to stand up for himself, um, and sort of gain the empire's approval in this thing, because realistically, this is sort of the, this is sort of the, uh, the origin point of a lot of the people that we see that are kind of headstrong imperial is this guy is just wanting to do his job so well. Like that's his whole thing. That's his character is that he is adamant about wanting to do his job and, you know, noticing when there is a lack of accountability within the empire and its sort of affiliates. So I think that this is kind of exactly what I wanted from this, from this confrontation. I think, you know, I'd love to see a little bit more of it. I don't know if it'll be, uh, I don't know if it'll be extended if they're, if they're going to get any more time sitting in a room together or, or, uh, what have you, but it's definitely what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really smart of you to point that out, like in just even looking at the definition of axis and fulcrum from like a geometrical thing, like their definitions are very central. They even have uh, or de- their definitions are very similar. They even have central like both in in the definition. I'm also curious, I think 
just on looking, I believe fulcrum is like a self-defined thing. Like it's not a de- definition that the empire put on, you know, uh, yeah, as far yeah. as I know, like uh, I believe the way that fulcrum was used is like between like, the, you know, spies within the, the network of rebels, you know, like I think that that's what they use more in like code speak rather than this, which um, Deidre in the meeting that she has even says like this person that we've nicknamed uh you know, Axis, we believe to be at the center of all of this, which I think is great to see. Um, because in, if you would have asked me, you know, kind of at the beginning of the show, I would have assumed Von Mothma would facilitate that. But I love that right now she is sort of operating on the perimeter side of things or in a way that is central, but is like totally concealed. And that Luthen, in an attempt to, you know, like really strike against the empire. Like he is drawing all the attention onto him. And he also even interacts with some other allies or potential allies in this episode that would only continue to do that. So I think it's great that even like Fulcrum, this title of Axis, or even maybe like the role of Axis is something that we're going to see grow over time, you know, something that will go to Mon Mothma. And then even also like kind of tangentially go to Leia, if you know, you want to go into the resistance side of things. I think that that's, that's really great. So yeah, great pull there. Great pull. Hey, thanks. Um, what hey, I do. hey, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, pay me the big bucks. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're getting paid for this. Um, so yeah, in the, the Imperial sort of stomping on the galaxy here, um, we are reunited on Ferrix with, uh, Marva and Bix, uh, as well as our boy, what's his name? Brasso. Brasso. Is that his name? Yeah, B-R-A-S-S-O. Brasso, Brasso. You know, like, you know the like one. Brazos from uh, Only Murders in the Building? Exactly. If you want to call him that, great. Whatever you want to call him, Noah. Whatever helps you. I kind um, of forgot about him. I'm not going to lie. Kind well, of he's there too. Uh, Bix and Marva are really like, seemingly kind of the, the focus of this, so we'll focus on them. Uh, but Marva is sick and injured uh, after apparently trying to open a floodgate to use as a tunnel for rebel activity. It's a tunnel that leads directly to the hotel. Um, I'm sure that will be important later. Uh, you and I had mentioned things <laughs> Wait, that they just, mentioned that they mentioned that for no reason at all. Yeah, you and I just kind of we had already talked about like things that are sprinkled throughout this or just kind of like, hey, audience, don't hey, don't forget this or yeah. oh, this could be interesting. Like really planting the seeds there. So uh, yeah, that uh, that f- tunnel, that secret access tunnel that apparently runs throughout most of Ferrix. I'm sure that won't be important at all. Um, but Vel and Cinta are, are also on Ferrix here, monitor, monitoring the two hoping for uh, an opportunity to uh, locate and eliminate um, Andor. So with Vel and Senta in their reunion here, we get this sense that Senta not only wants to stay on Ferrix, but is more dedicated to this cause to where Vel is kind of more focused on the relationship and the, the the dynamic between the two of them uh, and their pairing. And I thought that this was such a great detail to have and an important one too, in that Cinta in focusing on the, the goal of the rebellion, essentially big picture toppling the empire is kind of losing sight on the relationships in the people that she's fighting for to where Vel is seemingly struggling to, to navigate this balance, the, the work-life balance, you know, uh, mm, that we all yes. seem to struggle <laughs> with. But I thought that this was such a great way to show something that honestly, most characters in this series are 
you know, struggling with is what is your rebellion and how does that impact you with Cassian? It's obviously his rebellion isn't, uh, you know, isn't for any sort of big personal reasons. He's there to get his money and that sense of freedom attached to that. Mira obviously has her rebellion and so forth. But I thought that the this highlighting and this uh, showing a spotlight between the two of them, uh, I thought was a really great detail. Yeah, it, it is one of those things that we've sort of mentioned of the how, you know, how do you rebel? What is your rebellion? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the sort of the inverse side of, of things, like we've seen before with certain characters, if you have someone like Mon Mothma and Luthen paired together to say, okay, this guy is okay with this, this lady is not okay with this, or this is how they do things differently, um, you know, we're what we're getting here is sort of I don't want to say that Sinta's point of view is contradictory to rebellion because I don't think that it is. I think that it it's an illustration of maybe and I I hate to say this, but maybe it contradicts the uh, the, the the so oft oft quoted uh, Rose line, not by fighting right. what we hate, but by saving what we love. Or let's just say, is you know are both ways you know are are both ways acceptable forms of rebellion because yeah. for for someone like Cinta she is there for the fight and for someone like Vel it seems like she is there to save you know to to at least keep the pieces together of the things that she loves yeah. right and to of not necessarily just avoid situations that would be dangerous, but to say like, this is how we are going to last through this thing. We are going to, you know, we're going to do a, B and C. We're going to affect these things here. We're going to do these, you know, missions or whatever, but it's all in purpose of being able to come out on the other side together and, you know, and, and not, not go into this saying, okay, here's how we're going to do things. We are going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to blow this up. We're going to kill these people. We're going to do this and do that. And we're going to, you know, crush them down. That Those aren't necessarily like two opposites or a right way or a wrong way. It's, it's a really intimate way of showing how these different viewpoints should come together to say, we're on the same side, but there are different ways of doing this. And, you know, how do you get along with somebody that wants to do things differently than you? Obviously, this comes a little bit more clear, uh, or at least will come a little bit more full circle as we are introduced to uh, another character. Yeah. And I'm curious too, just as far as like the two of them, you know, we got a sense last week that Vel was not like super open to killing Cassian. She was kind of like, Oh, all right. Well, I guess, you know, and then like, <laughs> I'm curious if Senta is like, great. I didn't even like him from the start, you know, or if she is like shares that sentimentality. And I'm wondering if that is going to get them to this point to where they have conflict between one another or, you know, they, in, you know, fighting this rebellion, they're maybe losing sight of again, like we're seeing in the prison, like they're losing sight of what's important. They're focusing on killing Cassian, this person who generally is not really a threat to them other than maybe like from a liability standpoint, but you know, and, and we, we keep alluding to it. There is a 
conversation that uh, uh, Luthen has with Saw Gerrera in this episode that really kind of boils all of this down as well. So um, we'll put a brief pin in that because it is it is coming up. Trust us. Um, so are you sure about that? Do we have to talk about it? Yes, Noah. It's important thematically. God, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bix on uh, uh, this planet, Ferrix uses the exact same communication tower that she previously used uh, to contact Luthen. Uh, Luthen denies her call. <laughs> um, he he screens her call. Uh, hits decline. Uh, sends her to voicemail and apparently is now cutting ties with Ferrix again. Blocks her number. Exactly. Blocks her number straight up. Right up. Uh, and then uh, is seemingly cutting ties with Ferrix. Uh, he is he's done with them. Treats them the same way that he did with Cassian. Is like you're a liability. I, I you know I used you for what I needed to do. And I don't need you anymore. So you I know, don't know you anymore. That's yeah. that's what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. I have no productivity to be found with you. So I am cutting my ties with you uh, again. Uh, this this parallel that we're seeing between the two of them. Um, and Luthen after this visits Mr. Sagrera. We knew he was going to be in the show, but he eventually turns up in this episode. Uh, and uh, they kind of have this verbal sparring between the two of them that Guerrero believes that Luthen was the one that was responsible for the heist. Luthen obviously is putting up kind of a, a show uh, and, you know, trades that Guerrero is going to be the one that was responsible for the heist. But I want to ask you, because this, I would say, as far as negatives with the episode, this is one for me that I wasn't super in love with. Not that Sagrera being in the show, but more of the reason I, and maybe you'll be able to point me in a better direction. I didn't see a good reason for Luthen at this point to go visit Sagarera. Like, I didn't understand why he felt the need to do this now. Like, I would think that this would be the time to maybe lay low and to get things planned. Maybe that's precisely what he's doing. But what did you think was kind of the reason for him to visit Sagarera? And what did you think about kind of their interaction that we see here? Well, there's a, there's kind of an interesting piece of it where um, where Luthen essentially like refers to him as like an old friend, and um, to me that kind of calls into question what's Luthen's origin here. You know, is this maybe how certain people were introduced to certain you know practices and certain groups and and whatnot? Um, I I think the problem is I am almost in agreement with you that. For me, this is this is a strange meeting that I don't fully understand the purpose of. I mean, I understand that Luthen is there to offer to sell things, but to me, Luthen is a character that that you know, as we've seen so far, is going to require something from someone at a very specific time, and it's because they're the only one that can do those things. It's why he has any connection with Mon Mothma. It's why he reached out to Andor. It's why he's using Vel and her crew, because they are the the most capable for these things. They are the ones that are best to do it. And so for me, this wasn't exactly like a, hey, Saw, are you like... I don't know, busy anytime soon, like to Mm -hmm. help out. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that maybe I think the most credit that I can give it is that this is sort of a testing of the water of what is Saw Gerrera's response to something like this. Would he be interested in furthering this or, you know, how is he going to want to adapt more of his, his own energy into, into a rebellion the thing is they don't really come to an agreement. So that doesn't feel fully fleshed out to me. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, 
I, like it's not not a problem for me that he's in this episode or in this series as a whole. It's not because it makes sense. I will say uh, I had in my notes that uh, like at this point in the episode, I I like thought about it and I was like, huh. Saul Guerrero is not going to be in this episode. That's crazy. And then like you immediately yourself. cut to two tubes and I was like, God damn it. <laughs> like a hundred percent, just like perfect timing. Um, so I don't know. It, it didn't necessarily feel out of place, but I do wonder why the, why it's important for him to necessarily have this meeting at this time. Yeah. Yeah. So to catch listeners up, if, if you've missed Noah's beef, we had done a prior episode, our general grievances episode to where I am not necessarily like a Saw Gerrera fan number one on Tumblr or anything, but like uh, Noah obviously has like a frustration more with the character rather than like a strong dislike. And it came to a point to where I think you and I agreed that like Saw is is brought up a lot in Star Wars throughout a lot of different TV shows and a lot of different medium. And I think generally it's for like the same kind of reasons and the same kind of point. Like they kind of bring up that point of like, how far are you willing to go to win? And like, how, you know, do you lose yourself in rebellion? And like, at what point is this fight, you know, in, in the, in the reason for fighting lost on you and more just the fight itself kind of takes over to you. And where do you lose your humanity? And we see that like in a physical sense, cause saw like, you know, slowly gets to the point to where he gets more mechanical and lo- literally is losing like the more organic, you know, quote unquote human sides of him and all of that. I, again, it's points have been brought up in like the yeah. bad batch and, uh, and, uh, the rogue one obviously, and uh, Jedi fallen order and rebels and like all of these things. And so like, I don't inherently have a problem with saw being used in this. Um, but I think, yeah, like maybe you can look at, into it while I was talking. I didn't catch it, but like, um, yeah, it's proposed to saw that he kind of unifies forces, um, with this other insurgent to, you know, uh, that, um, that is, is proposed to him by Luthen. Uh, he's like, Hey, maybe you could work with this guy. And if you do, I'll give you these pieces for free. Unless you know, off the top of your head, I, I am, I, I can't remember, um, what what that person's name was, or if it was we a have funny been introduced name. To him. It was a funny name. We I don't believe we've before. been introduced to them yet. I could be no, wrong. No, we haven't. I could be wrong. But um, in this conversation that we have here, the interesting part of it that I thought was was great in that that you know uh, I think is a new point that is being brought up by Guerrera is that it's not just like the rebels and then saw. Like at this point, it's yes. uh, as he mentions, it's the there's no rebel alliance in the sense that we know, like he mentions the separatists, which is something that is like obviously still like hanging on from the Clone Wars, something that was honestly at this point in time, not that long ago. Um, we've got neo Republicans, uh, the Gorman fight, which is still don't really know what that is. But Mon Mothma has also mentioned about this. We've also got the partisan alliance. So we've just got like a bunch of different things that are in play right now and is precisely what I was talking about as far as like you have these different factions that have been splintered throughout the galaxy and right now not only for practical reasons as far as like they can't really communicate but also like moral reasons to where they can't uh you know really seem to be unified on a goal of 
how you fight the empire, what is too far. You even have like, you know, Luthen and Mon Mothma to where Mon is like trying to take things more from like a red tape side of more of a democratic legislative side of things, raising money behind the scenes and, you know, directing funds, all of that to where Luthen is like breaking into <laughs> imperial <laughs> facilities and murdering people, you know? So um, I think as far as like, you know, the Sagar era of it all, I, I think he is a character that is brought up a lot. I think it's usually for the same points. It's points that I don't disagree with. I think are a good thing to bring up. I think he fits really well into this series specifically. Um, and I do think that where he is introduced into this series, we don't know if he's going to be brought up a whole lot more. Um, but I think for what we get in this, I'm like, good. Points are made. I'm good to move on, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say, um, and this is really kind of a, a, a turning point for me. Uh, this is a, a point of personal, personal, uh, you got your turn signal on crossroads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think that, I think that Saw Gerrera's, uh, point of the, you know, the different, let's just say different political alignments, um, yeah. and why that's the reason that there isn't unification. I think that that is the best that Saw Gerrera has ever been in anything that he, in anything that he has shown up in. Um, and you know, again, the bad batch, you kind of have to condense it down a little bit. You have to, you have to make it very succinct rogue one. You're really just introducing sort of the, the, yeah. the character at this time clone wars. We get, you know, sort of the, the, the context for his, for his ideology, that sort of thing. Um, I do think that, in this moment when he talks about this and lists these things that we've not really like, like what is a Neo Republican? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, all of these things, this to me is one of the most concrete, you know, even real world connections to totally you know, real world. How, how do we, how do we fight this thing when we are so spread out on a spectrum of what we actually agree on and it's funny because that that being a very political thing feels like it makes the most sense when Saw Gerrera is a character that clearly uh, is sort of disillusioned into completely abhorring any kind of political uh, side to any of this where it's not politics, it's war. And there is no politics in war. There is there is death in war. There's there's one side fighting another. Um but for him to kind of bring this up as like, oh my God, yeah, you're right, dude. Like, wh where where was that? So yeah. I will say, for all things considered, uh, I'm happy with it. I, I think that yeah. it, it's not the way that I would have liked him to be introduced or brought into this, um, but he brings up points that I think are made best uh, by him. It's, it's really good stuff, honestly. Yeah, and I also think it's important to note that like, I think that this conversation also directly parallels what we're seeing in the prison too, is that the people in the prison, those who are being oppressed are more preoccupied with the conflict within that group, within each other, con you know, conflicting with one another rather than focusing their energy towards the oppressor, you know? And I think that is a super real world application. If you want to talk about just like, you know, uh, these you know, within either side of the political spectrum, this fighting with one another and this, you know, I certainly felt in the last election of like, yeah, that 
person that is being elected into office, I don't really agree with versus this person who I more agree with. And I'm still going to vote for that other person because they're going to ultimately get us to the point to where I think that we need to go rather than the person who I might more politically align with, who I don't think has a chance against, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, it's a real world idea that again is being shown in kind of a nice snapshot way in this prison is like, you guys are so focused on each table fighting each other. And then not only each table, but each room and then each level fighting each other, just so you can get flavor in your food. You know, like it's something that you should be more focusing on who put you into this position in the first place and more of the broad stroke grand scheme of things. So I thought that that was really great. Um, and I can't wait to see that fully explored, uh, even more. I also thought that in this moment, you and I have been kind of wondering as well as others, like where Luthen is falling on all of this is like, what is his true side even? And I think in this moment was like, you know, Luthen is full of shit. Like <laughs> the dude is talking out of his ass. Cause he is like full on lecturing saw, um, on like the importance of unification, uh, you know, what I was just talking about, like unifying, uh, under this common goal to where like, even him is literally abandoning his connection with not just Ferrix, but also Cassian and others, people that he had been unified and is unified against this fight against the empire based on his own self-interest. Like I thought it was so backwards and definitely intentional, not like a plot hole kind of thing, but just, I'm like, Luthen, the pot in the kettle, man. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> he is here wagging his finger on Guerrera. And I was just like, you've done all of this in the, this one episode. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing is I love that that is so intentionally driven that, you know, what's clear is, and, and even, you know, kind of the, the idea that he's going to bring in somebody else to this conversation where he's like, Hey, I want you to meet this guy. I think you guys could work really well and you could really help me out with this thing. The whole idea that he is, you know, totally okay with using, abusing and losing people yeah. of, you know, just to get, just to get, you know, what he wants. And the thing is that we are looking at this lens of he's not selfish in the sense that he, you know, wants that he wants things selfishly. He's selfish in the sense that he wants to do a greater good but his own way totally. and he is willing to do which is the same thing that saw is doing yes, Totally the same thing <laughs> exactly so you're looking at all these different you're looking at all these different colors of rebellion yeah. and luthan is like we're you know we're talking about mon mothma being diplomatic and and saw guerrera being an extremist and and you know and andor being a mercenary luthan is in his own freaking planet yeah he is like out on you know he's just going completely rogue and being like I'm going to, I'm going to get all these people together that have a belief in a cause and I'm going to send them to do some really dangerous stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'm fully prepared that they will die. And if they mm -hmm. don't, I'm fully prepared to go and kill them well, because this thing is that important. Which is, I think, precisely the reason that he can't, like, not only that he won't, but he can't be the Axis for long. You know, like, somebody like Mon Mothma or also Leia Organa is somebody, a figure that people can look to as a sign for hope and inspiration. Like, Leia is the physical embodiment of hope, and it's that people 
in the times of darkness can look to her as a point of light. And that's what, you know, Last Jedi is all about is the importance of symbols and symbolic figures even and looking towards them as a point of inspiration. And like, how the hell are you going to look to this guy as a point of inspiration? (laughs) Like he's killing people on his own team and just like dropping people like a hot rock the moment that any even like, you know, sniff of suspicion is being cast his way. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely intentional upon the writers. And I think it's also, you know, a really great talking point of the importance of unification in this time and like the the pointlessness of infighting and like not that like these reasons and these philosophical conversations aren't important. Like, obviously, these are of like, you know, if if Luthen is causing active harm and these PORDs are a result of him and was an intentional result of him. These are obviously things that need to be discussed here, but they are like unwilling to even have these conversations or even come together because they're so focused on what their own fight is that they're not even looking towards their neighbors or the people that they're affecting. So I think it's great. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. I I'm, I'm, endlessly intrigued by his yes. character because it's it's one of those things where I'm like I don't really want to I don't really want to see him like get what's coming to him because he's a bad guy yeah but like there has to be some kind of consequence for these things obviously we're seeing the consequences live out with you know through other characters but for him especially when does he you know what's the point where he says okay uh, enough hiding, you know, right. time, time to come out. Exactly. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, speaking, uh, speaking of establishing said Alliance, uh, we even cut back to Miss Mon Mothma, uh, back on Coruscant, who is still maintaining contact with her old friend, Tay, uh, who has apparently been visiting more and more often. Um, Mothma, uh, is even talking to other politicians at this party who are discussing Palpatine's PORDs. Um, and this was like, if you want to talk about real world application like this scene you could post a screenshot in these quotes to twitter and like literally just reply to political tweets and it wouldn't even seem like that out of place you know um, one of them says well if you're doing nothing wrong what would you have to fear to which mothma replies i'm concerned with what your definition of wrong is and that quote of if you're doing nothing wrong what would you have to fear if i had a nickel for like every time i heard something similar to that around like last summer and the black lives uh, black lives matter movement and all that kind of stuff it's just like there's so many real world applications to this conversation and this scene alone this like this show i we've talked about before i think star wars is a super political thing has been since day one and even your favorite star wars movies revenge of the sith i'm looking at you is like some of the most political star wars stuff and i think it's silly to to think otherwise or even pretend otherwise but i love that this show is like not even it's not subtext it's not you gotta read between the lines like no it's straight up the text like this is a political show first and foremost i love it yeah, there's a there's one quote, especially in that conversation as well, that I I wrote down because I was like, yeah, this is uh, we're, we're definitely talking about a democracy that is uh, that's being run in a, you know, a faux dictatorial sort of way um, when when they're talking about Palpatine and they're like, oh, he's you know, this is this and blah, blah, blah. And there, you know, some people are kind of, kind of crapping on him. Um, and one guy says like, well, I mean, you can't, can't really fault the guy because he says what he means. Exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I went, 
Yeah, totally. Oh yeah, you can't fault the guy because he says what he means. Oh, you mean the evil space wizard that is like you know raining terror across the galaxy? That's the silver lining, exactly. Like, and that right. That's the thing is you're you're gonna you're gonna say like, oh well, he's not that bad because he's outspoken. At least at least he is not afraid to say these things about you know X Y and Z. Yeah, it's like yeah. I remember that from hmm, what year is it? Twenty twenty two. That's it's yeah, not about the, eight yeah. years ago or yeah, six it, years ago. I, I am hesitating to you know to, or struggling to not make this just a political you know podcast now, but like. I, you know, uh, and Mothma says it pretty well is like, I'm not concerned with your definition of, you know, I'm more concerned with your definition of wrong. And like to what I would say to this person is like, I'm not concerned about his lack of or his courage to say what he's saying. That's not my, you know, not my main focus here. It's the content of what he's saying is like the thing in question here. So yeah, take that for what you will. But again, I'm just pleased that this show is like putting it in blinking neon lights. Like, yeah. You know, I don't know if it can get more obvious, but then I'm also, I'm, you know, speaking of Damien Lindelof, I'm brought back to like when Watchmen, you know, was on and people were like, stop making Watchmen political. And I'm like, you guys are, (laughs) you guys are hopeless. (laughs) You're absolutely hopeless. If you're calling for Watchmen of all things to not be political, you know, what's next? V for Vendetta? Like, my Uh, God. Yeah, (laughs) it is next. Actually, no, Uh, it already happened. Never mind. Yeah, so this conversation and this whole scene, it was just like a big like, ha, you know, like, oh man, it was just, yeah, the the real world applications are, are, you know, it's again, not even subtext, it is just full on the text. So um, in this moment, though, we also get a lot of great kind of unspoken growth from Mon Mothma here and her distancing herself from these Chandrillan traditions. from this planet that seemingly is one of opulence seemingly is one of privilege that she has now kind of outgrown in a way. Um, we see that in relation to her distaste or her, dis, uh, you know, her kind of losing of the appetite of this weird worm sort of like, you know, champagne cocktail thing. Well, it's like, like a, it's like a Jaeger bomb, but with a worm <laughs> Yeah, that you put in this drink and it disintegrates like, uh, it looks delicious. Yeah. What do you mean? Mon Mothma looks great. Yeah. It is like <laughs> by far one of the most Star Wars like little tiny details that has happened so far. I like yeah. I saw that and I was like, oh, my God, who whoever thought of that? Like, give him a raise. Give, give yeah. him a friggin medal. Yeah, I think it's like this. I think it's like a worm uh, with like in tequila is like a real a real world thing. Oh, yeah, it yeah. reminded you put, me. You put a you put a worm or a snake in it. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me of, of something like that, which is like ugh, gross. But Except yeah, they're I, called squigs. <laughs> it's so it, ooh, what a what yeah. a gross word. Can't wait it's for like, that. Oh, to... Mon Mothma, you you tired of your squig? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to try that at Galaxy's Edge when that inevitably comes. But um, yeah, so she's losing appetite for for this thing um, as well as her apparent like arranged marriage at the age of 15 too. Um, it's, it's all but said that it was arranged, uh, to her D bag husband, which obviously not really going well. So he just gets worse and worse every time he shows up, honestly. Yeah. Literally the worst. It's obviously going to end in divorce. I don't see him sticking around to, uh, to return to the Jedi or anything, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought this was great. Something that is also real world in more of like a twin sons kind of way of like, 
that's something that I felt this like disconnect from where you're from and like this tradition, whether religious or otherwise that you were kind of grown up in, you kind of look around, you get to a point, obviously Mon Mothma is much older than I am, but like this point of like, I don't think that this is really me anymore. And like this new person and this new sense of identity that I found have, have seemingly kind of outgrown. I think there's a, that side of things, but then also her coming uh, from this planet and these Chandrillan traditions, I think that she is also outgrowing this privilege that is attributed probably with this, you know, money and opulence and just maybe even like this vapid ignorance that a lot of these people presumably have people presumably who have a similar kind of position as a lot of these senators at this party uh, who are shouting these, you know, BS political takes. I, <laughs> I, I think it's something that's really um, uh, resonated with me, uh, especially. Uh, yeah, I thought that this was a, a, a great way to show how her character is is growing and evolving on just like her actions and in small ways. Yeah, it's something that we don't get a whole lot of in Star Wars. Obviously, we get some of, I mean, a, a core theme of all of Star Wars is where you're from. Um, but, you know, when you when you take someone like Ray and it's, you know, her position is I'm from nowhere. Um, there's a difference in terms of, you know, asking somebody not where they're from, but what are your traditions? Obviously, we visit a lot of planets like you know, that, that have culture, whether it's yeah. something like Pisana or, you know, going to somewhere like Gungan city, there's, there's obviously culture there and even all of Naboo and how, you know, and how Udabanga kind of, yeah. uh, you know, corresponds with, with feed or something like that. We only get a little bit of it though, in star Wars of like, what's your culture, right? Um, not not just where are you from, but how did you grow up? How did you come to be, you know, the person that you are? And right. so we've gotten more of that in Andor than I think in any other Star Wars media of, you know, of these not only traditions, but, you know, cultural customs and language barriers and indigenous sort of either pride or indigenous uh, you know, danger, I guess, yeah. um, is something that is hugely, hugely talked about. So you can compare something like, you know, Cassian and his sister, uh, growing up on, uh, oh gosh, what is it called? Um, like, uh, I can't remember the name. I know yeah. it starts with a K. It's not Canari. Uh, Canari. There you go. Yes. Um, growing up on Canari and having this perception of the world and of, yeah. separatists and, and whatnot, um, kind of comparing that to Mon Mothma having these traditions from Chandrilla and moving into this other, you know, completely other world. Um, right. it's just really good stuff. It's great. Yeah. I think it's, it's something that like this show just continues to, uh, like we already mentioned, like this show just being so openly political and not just that, but like the things that like they are talking about in the show, like obviously Star Wars is about anti-fascism or Antifa, if you want to go there too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Star Wars has always been about that, but then also like this is talking about like the prison industrial complex and then like, <laughs> you know, uh, privilege and, and classism and, you know, like policing and like it's just so openly Man, political wait, wait till the riot shields get here god just wait oh. just wait and i i'm curious i my my ear is rarely to the ground of 
Twitter in like the fandom menace side of things. Like I follow my scope of, of Twitter followers and usually people that are generally aligned with me on Twitter. Uh, I'm intentionally creating my own echo, t- echo chamber with uh, star Wars Twitter. Um, but I'm just curious if like that side of the fandom has just been kind of like, you know, sleeping. And then once they see riot shields, they're like, wait a minute, is this, is this about us? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, never, it's never about you. It's, yeah, you're it's like, not, Oh no, no, it's, it's the other cops. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't not you. Don't worry about it. Go back right. to bed. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we go back to uh, Ferrix uh, to where uh, Mira uh, has arrived on planet uh, and is investigating the communication that Bix sent out. It's a small thing, but this show I think does a really great job of just dropping us into scenes and then not showing necessarily what predated that. Like we don't see, you know, uh, our, our friend Marva getting injured like opening this gate it's just like oh she got injured did we see it no like it's not important like you know the details and the facts of that are like we just told you you know she got injured trying to open up open up this thing and with this it was like you know obviously she's on this planet they found out about the through the communication they intercepted this communication so they're on planet so it's it's just a great way of just kind of like I don't know, cutting time, but it's just like surprising that it just sh- that kind of drops up and drops us into these moments. So it's just like, how did we get here? Well, we just told you, you know? Well, yeah. It's fun as an audience to, to have this where it's, you know, you're, you're on someone like Bix's side and we know that she just sent out this communication. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, more Imperials show up on Ferrix and you're yeah. like, Oh, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. What, what's, what's happening? Yeah. We have and that same go, reaction that she does. Yeah, And they go, uh, is your name Bix by <laughs> chance? Cause I've got your yeah. face right. And then here. she puts up the fake mustache and the glasses and she's like, Hmm, you must be thinking of my sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am Mix. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very much that thing where it's like, wait, 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 this just happened. And now like now they're here and yeah. like, this is, how, how did that, you know, you have that same reaction. It's very fun as an yeah. audience member. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, we have the same reaction that she does to where not only are, you know, is Mira and the empire, you know, I mean, they're always on Ferrix, but now they're specifically at this shop to where this communications tower is, uh, Pax, the, the shop owner has been taken into custody. He's even been, uh, you know, pretty much tortured. There's this really great detail to where, uh, Mira, like tells one of the officers to keep the prisoner in there. He packs in there, the shop owner. And then like the moment that, uh, you know, the moment that Bix is like, you know, brought in, she kind of plays like, what are you doing? Get him out of here. Like she, but she wanted Bix to see, you know, what kind of what would befall her if she also tried to like, you know, hold out or, or lie to her. It was a, such a great detail, like such a villain moment. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it's it's that like reverse psychology type thing where you could you could have that sort of uh, that sort of show right and put on a show and and yeah. be like you know oh I bet you wouldn't like to be in his seat because yeah. you're about to be you know and right. you can you can play that up or you can say you know you can flip the script and and be like uh you know th- this isn't this is, you know, you're, you're just going to have to worry about whatever, right. uh, you know, this is something you're not supposed to see, but I, I just think it's really, it, it, it caught me off guard a little bit yeah. because I was like, wait, what? And then I like rewinded and I was like, that's really mean. Super maniacal, <laughs> like super just mean. really manipulative. Yeah. It's just like a great character moment of just like, God, like you just, you love to hate these kind of people. And it's also like, 
we had talked about like in prior weeks how, you know, um, Mira has been like propped up to sort of be like an underdog within the empire. And then now she's like fully got the, the, what she's wanted. She's investigating this fully. She's been given kind of like all the resources at her disposal. So now she's like firmly a villain. Like she's always been, she's an Imperial officer, like obviously villain status, but I love that it, how it has set her up to be determined and resourceful and cunning. Like it's really set, like what a great twist to set her up as sort of this underdog. You get to see all of these qualities about her. And then once you know those qualities, it's like, uh Oh, like this is what is coming after our heroes. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even in this scene, sort of with that, with that switcheroo, you kind of, you kind of get that feeling that she is, she's actively, her show is that she is sort of talking down to these other Imperial officers that are working for her. And more so that it's like, you dummy, like you were supposed to do this, you know, that's like, that's the, that's the show. But what that says, what that communicates is that she's not the person that you want to mess with. Like right. you're scared of these stormtroopers walking through your streets. Uh, yeah. now I'm here, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just really good. Yeah. And we had also mentioned like kind of that just dropping us into scenes to where like we see Bix run, but we don't see her get captured. But then when we are, you know, reintroduced to her, she's already been captured. So like, yeah, I think the show just does a great job of like trusting the audience. We don't need to see every single little thing. Um, it's great. But uh, uh, before the episode ends, we cut back to the prison uh, to where we see an inmate commit suicide. They unalive themselves. Um not Don't great. know if we've seen that a lot in Star Wars. Super dark. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, he just kind of is standing at the foot of his cell, which also I'm just kind of like, is that a weird mind game that the Empire is playing here? You know, like, look how close you are to death. You know, like if if you wanted to, you can. It's right there. You know, like it's just brutal. It makes everything feel hopeless and well, just like, God. Yeah. I mean, we, we obviously talked a lot about Shawshank Redemption, but like, Nobody's getting trays served through a tiny hole in the door, right? There's no cell bars. Nobody's, nobody's digging. Well, hold on. Spoilers. Sorry. If you haven't seen Shawshank Redemption, (laughs) I'm talking specifically to my wife. Um, uh, nobody's digging out of of the wall with a, with a spoon, right? Right. Yeah. It's actually an ax, Noah. It's actually an ax. It's actually like oh, a little pickaxe that he uses to create little, uh, you know, I, uh, I was thinking game of, um, pieces. I was thinking of Madagascar. The penguins <laughs> dig out of their, their thing with this. See, spoon. that's the difference between you and me. I'm always thinking about Madagascar. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's not that. They're, they're like, they have all tech. I mean, they have quote unquote all of the food that they could want, right? It's, yeah. they don't have a limit on how much they can eat or drink. Yeah. And they have their facilities and their doors are open. The thing that's stopping them is that they will right. die as soon yeah. as they they try to leave. But their doors are open, and it's it totally is a mind game of like, no, you're not you're not trapped here, right? Yeah. Like, you yeah. Know? Well, I also wonder if like they mentioned like what they had experienced. I think it was like either level one out of three or level one out of four, and so like you know that would lead you to believe that that's four. Like you get on it and it's dead. Like you're yes. Like one zap and you're done. Absolutely brutal and also really sets the stakes well of like what they're up against and like, you know, how it's not just like, oh, I got zapped and I'm on the floor like you're getting like tased. It's like, no, you will die. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really brutal stuff. Um, but I think the best thing about the scene best in like a weird, uh, you know, upsetting way is that like the other inmates aren't like 
oh no, Greg, like <laughs> my buddy, <laughs> like they're more of like, oh great. He was on my table. Like, well, we're not going to, we're not going to get flavor in our food tube tomorrow. You know, it's this morning of, you know, productivity and rather than like the fact that their friend and coworker, you know, just killed themselves. Like it's, it's really, really disheartening. And again, like hopeless. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, you know, you're sort of in this, I, I guess in this, uh, in this context, you're expected to behave a certain way and what you do influences everyone else. And that's the way that it's set up. Um, so I can't, you know, I can't imagine that they would, that they would think of anything else first because that's, I mean, it's sort of like we talked about before, they're a little bit brainwashed, not in like a zombie type of way, but in, but in the sense that it's like, no, here's what you care about. And we, we decide what you care about now. Right. Yeah. It's really brutal stuff. Uh, and we also see Cassian who is, you know, uh, continuing his work, um, at the prison, uh, seemingly, you know, familiar with his new surroundings here, the, his new position that he finds himself in. So yeah, really, uh, really upsetting, just like dark. And I, I can't wait to see, you know, where we pick back up with, with everybody next week. But yeah, that about does it for episode eight. Um, I know you had your, your frustrations with it, but, uh, I think it was really, really great. And I can't wait for episode nine. I do think that it's, it's jam packed with a lot of stuff to talk about, which is good because that's, I didn't, I didn't have anybody to talk about with, and that's why we do this. This is not for you listener. <laughs> that's why we're here. Me. <laughs> yeah. A lot of this, you know, like you and I haven't had a chance to talk with one another or we actively try to avoid that. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, not scripted We're I mean, scripted in the sense that we have like plot points that we want to talk about, but yeah, we're working through stuff here, man. Sometimes this is star Wars therapy. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, well, consider me uh, therapized. I've got two casual thumbs up uh, hey, as opposed to my nice. initial one. So nice. that'll be one quarter. Uh, I'm doing it peanut style. Oh, yeah. OK. Um, so how do you I mean, do you want me to Venmo you or like um, I just give it to you when I see you? You could like, USPS it to me if you want. Oh, just like that's like three dollars <laughs> shipping. <laughs> what it takes sort of hey uh this isn't coming for free uh but no i want to ask you we have more to talk about here with tales of the jedi you want to take a quick break or do you want to barrel on through let's just let's just barrel on through because this is where a lot of my thoughts are this, this is, is where a I, lot of the thoughts are i got a lot of thoughts about this Interesting. i think we should i think we should barrel on through because Interesting. i don't i'll pre- i'll preface with this i don't think that there's a ton to talk about content wise i think there are some standouts um, but I, I'm wondering if, oh God, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil my general thoughts. Um, well, but, you don't have to, yeah, we can go ahead and dive on in. Uh, let's just do it. Let's just do yeah. it. So tales of the Jedi, uh, now released on Disney plus, uh, it is six episodes, uh, six short episodes, about an hour and 20 hour, 15 and change, um, uh, of three different uh, you know, episodes in these two arcs. So we have a, a Dooku side of things and then an Ahsoka side of things. The first episode being an Ahsoka episode, then we get our three Dooku episodes, and then the last two are Ahsoka. Um, we had already kind of talked about these two characters, why they are picked, uh, and what we suspected that this would talk about. So Dooku and Ahsoka both being these characters who at one point were Jedi, but left the reason, uh, left the the order for uh, different reasons, and how this uh, season and this series might highlight that. So um, I, we can we're not going to go through each every single episode um, and talk about you know moment by moment like we did with Andor, but more generally. 
each episode and then, you know, kind of how they're in conversation with one another. Um, so I don't know your thoughts. I really don't know at all. Um, so I'm curious to think, what did you think about this series as a whole? And you can even talk about, you know, each, each arc individually and just kind of what you thought of tales of the Jedi. Um, I think that the, the concern for most people going into this was more Ahsoka content, um, because it's a character that has been focused a lot on. Um, I'm fine with it. I don't think that that's an issue for me because like we talked about previously, I think that these characters work well with each other. Um, series as a whole, I, I don't want to say that I was disappointed because that's negative. I, I didn't come away with it with a negative feeling. I came away from it with sort of a not fully satisfied feeling, um, in the sense that this feels like a pet project. This feels like a passion project that maybe didn't get all that it deserved. It's one of those things where, you know, when we went into the Bad Batch, um, we kind of had a little three episode arc to go off of and not too much else from there. Right. And I, I feel like going into Andor was sort of the same thing of knowing about Andor, you know, happening as a series and feeling, okay, this is a character that I'm, you know, halfway familiar with. And now we're getting a whole series. What could I possibly expect from this? And I don't want to say that there were, you know, high expectations for Tales of the Jedi, but it sort of felt like a passion project. And I had at least that hope for it. Um, but I think that this was, I think that this is something that maybe deserved a little bit more attention because it's difficult. I think it's a difficult structure, um, of story. And to be honest, it doesn't a hundred percent work for me, um, which is okay. I don't think it's bad. I really don't. I think that it has really awesome moments. Um, I think that what it says about certain things are really, really good. We'll get into that. Obviously I'm trying to be a little bit vague um, mm -hmm. with some of this before we get into the, the, the meat of it. Um, but I think that it does say some very important and very new things, um, that, that aren't, you know, considered before. And I understand sort of the, the symbiotic nature of these two stories. I, I think that I don't think that they're totally bungled. That's not at all what I'm saying. Um, but I think that there's, there probably would be some room for development in something structured a little bit more neatly. Um, but those are kind of, I mean, that's a, that's as negative as, as I can say about it because I think that that bears saying overall, I don't want that to, I don't want that to sound like I have negative feelings towards it. Um, because I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad that, that this story, you know, these two stories rather were able to be told because this is, I think this is a perfect medium for it. And I think that this more likely than not, and I've said this about, I've said this about other Star Wars projects that I'm not a hundred percent fond of. I think that this most likely came out exactly as was intended. I think that this is exactly what was meant to be told. Um, and the way that it was meant to be told, I think came across exactly as I'm sure it was meant to be. Um, it's just not something that I can hundred percent jive with. Um, mm -hmm. and that's, I mean, that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I definitely understand the 
initial hesitation or concern because I had it. I'm not going to lie. When it was like, we're doing this, this series and it's going to be short episodes. You and I had kind of hypothesized. It's like, okay, well, maybe we'll get like a Luminara episode and another episode's like a Kit Fisto episode. And then when it was like, we're going to do Dooku and Ahsoka, it's like, oh, wow, that's interesting pairing. Makes sense. But then also kind of like, man, we are getting a lot of Ahsoka. You know, do we really need to divulge into that um, a whole lot more? But I think that what is shown here, I think the Ahsoka episodes for me don't work as much isolated from the Dooku episodes, but paired together, I think that they're really well done. I think the Dooku episodes are great and are great on their own for sure. But I think the Ahsoka ones are good, but are made better in conversation with the Dooku episodes, because I think that the way that these episodes are uh, released even and like the, the, the chronology of them is in conversation with one another. Each episode is, and I think in a really interesting way, I think also just from like, you know, a uh, tangible filmmaking side of things, this, you know, being in the art style of the bad batch more than even the clone wars is gorgeous. Like it looks amazing. Um, Dooku even has a, a new model, a couple new models to be honest. Cause he like, he ages throughout the series. It looks excellent. Um, uh, the, the voice acting on all sides is, is really great. Um, and it's awesome to hear Kevin Kiner back doing star Wars yes. music. That's always, yeah. uh, more than welcome, but Corey Burton, uh, in particular is of note, uh, as Dooku, he does a really fantastic job. Um, and, uh, Liam Neeson too, and Ian McDermott and others like that was, that was really great to, to see everybody. Um, but I think, yeah, the Dooku stuff for me as someone who really likes Dooku as a character and is always welcome to new Dooku stories. Um, I listened to Jedi lost and liked it. That was just a medium that for me was just like the audio play thing was just something that was new to me. And I didn't, I don't know if I have the ADHD attention span to focus on it to where I was just kind <laughs> of like, Oh, I haven't been listening to this for the, for the past 20 minutes. You know, um, I, I would, would rather uh, read the script version of that. I think that that would click a little bit better with me. Um, but I, I liked that and I really liked what was um, established here as far as Dooku. And I think it honestly changes the way I see this character in some regards and certain interactions too, are like big canon moments and to see their interactions and their responses to some of these big canon moments um, I thought was, was really great. Um, so yeah, for me, I loved the Dooku stuff and the Ahsoka stuff I thought was, was good but was made even better in conversation with these these Dooku arcs. So yeah, I'm ready to go ahead and dive on in. Um, I think let's just both start with the... Um Let's just start with the Dooku arcs and then we can go into the Ahsoka one. Um, but the, uh, well, let's start, let's, let's, yeah, let's start with Dooku. Let's start yeah, with Dooku. Yeah. Um, so for Dooku, the first episode that we get with him um, is titled Justice. Um, and uh, the following after that is Choices and then Sith Lord. Um, I think these episodes, uh, uh, speci uh, specifically Justice, Choices, and then some of the Ahsoka episodes of Resolve um, is also as, uh, uh, life and death to me. I was like, if you had to put like just a bulleted list of like some of the big themes of star Wars, like these titles are honestly pretty close to them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I thought the titles of these episodes were like, not only a great thesis for the entire episode, but just like Star Wars, like a lot of the big ideas that this, uh, you know, this franchise deals with pretty frequently. 
Yeah, that's sort of the that's sort of the I, I don't want to say gimmick here, but it's it's certainly the the foundation is sort of that, you know, how do we how do we showcase these these little stories as the, you know, the biggest things yeah. uh, in Star Wars and and why do these small moments matter? Yes, they they are short episodes and I was kind of calculating it, it, this is one of the things I'll, I'll say this before we get into the whole thing, but, um, my viewing was probably not prime for this, um, because Andor and this both were on the same day. Um, and I'm trying to fit this around, uh, a certain schedule. And so I ended up watching, I watched the first three episodes of tales of the Jedi late last night, um, as I was snuggled up in bed, uh, and then I was almost asleep, so I was like, "Okay, I can't watch the you know the rest of these." So right. then uh, I watched one of them. I downloaded Disney Plus on my phone and watched it on my bathroom break at work. <laughs> uh, and then I watched uh, the fifth episode. Um, I watched the fifth episode on the drive home, uh, waiting in traffic, nice. um, <laughs> was like, all right, I hook it up to my car. Uh, and then the last episode I was able to sneak in as soon as I got home from work. So it was a very separate viewing, yeah. um, of all of these things. And it wasn't completely put together, which is, I think one of those yeah. things, um, uh, I want to be clear. The scum and villainy podcast does not condone watching star Wars while you drive. <laughs> That's, that is a hundred percent true. That is not at all what I'm condoning. Um, did I say I did that? I don't remember that. That's, um, is this recorded? <laughs> no, we'll go ahead and edit that bit out. Oh, wait, exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, that, that was, that was my viewing experience of this. And I do feel like, um, part of my hesitation with this is that it's not all fit together, but as a structured thing, this makes sense as something that's all fit together to show not only these arcs for these characters, but these pivotal moments that define star Wars and how in these small moments, uh, they are, you know, sort of tied together. That was, you know, it's something that is a grand scheme, uh, you know, part of this, of this little series, I guess. Yeah. I just to give context for, uh, my viewing experience, I woke up and watched Andor. I had the day off, uh, when, when this came out. So I watched Andor and then I shotgunned all of these and I watched Andor and then tales of the Jedi back to back to back to back to back to back to back. <laughs> and, like, <Yeah. laughs> and it was like a great, uh, my, my star Wars nerd heart was totally full. So, uh, I, you know, for me, um, I would definitely encourage you to watch these, uh, you know, one after another and you, the listener as well. Um, because I, I think these episodes are specifically meant to be in conversation with one another. I don't think that that's an accident. I think it's, it's definitely the intention here, but so this, this first episode justice with, with Dooku follows uh, a young Jedi master Dooku of Sereno, as well as Jedi Padawan Qui-Gon Jinn, um, who arrive on this planet, um, to resolve the conflict between this village and this senator. Uh, they learn that these villagers have kidnapped this senator's son, learning that the senator has kind of abandoned this village because of their own greed and their own uh, kind of sense of, of power. Uh, and they've just kind of completely removed themselves from this village and their own uh, self-interest. So they saw that like this kidnapping was really their only choice of action. Um, of course, the Senator arrives, there's a conflict that arises and, and, you know, Qui-Gon is able to talk Dooku down uh, and to realize that this this act isn't what true justice is. And that's not really the Jedi way. 
And I think where this episode is staged and we'll, we'll obviously get to it. It's just, it's difficult to talk about these episodes removed from one another because I think the first Ahsoka episode, one that I had the privilege of seeing at Star Wars Celebration, that episode was such about life. And obviously, duh, the episode's called Life and Death, but that episode was such about organic life, you know, and, and, and this symbiotic circle that we see and mm. talked yes. about a lot and the Phantom Menace and the, the circle of life and how light feeds into one another, but also what happens and when you succumb to fear and what can happen when you overcome fear. And we'll get to that more, how it relates to Ahsoka's episode. But I think Dooku in this episode and what we see throughout all of these is someone who is succumbing to fear, the fear that the Jedi and their reliance or connection with the Republic and with like the political side of things is insurmountable. And the only way that you can do that is to take drastic action. And I think that that's what I thought it was great to see Dooku directly interact with people who essentially in less, more of like a microcosm scale, do the same thing that he does and see that there is corruption in this either governmental entity or person. And the only way that you can do that is to take matters into your own hand and do drastic things that you probably otherwise wouldn't be doing. Um, and I think that there's a really great moment in this to where, um, uh, Dooku really highlights kind of what, you know, will eventually turn for him as a character to where, uh, the Senator, uh, Dagony, I believe is his name. Dagony, excuse me. Uh, He says that, you you know, you can't do this. You serve the Senate. And Dooku replies, he says, no, we serve the people of the Republic. I just thought it was really great for him to say that and then be like, oh, man, if you could only see yourself of like what eventually falls you uh, or befalls you, um, I thought it was really great. And, you know, there's a a Qui-Gon moment here that I thought plays really well into uh, a future episode, too. But we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, so there's, a, I mean, there's that foreshadowing, obviously, with, with the Dooku stuff, um, is sort of the meat of everything here, um, with, you know, him essentially making that choice. I think that that's something that's super interesting when you're taking that into context is the title of this episode being Justice um, is interesting because you're, you know, you're sort of questioning, right? What, what is the, the justice here? I mean, this is how good, good titles are written, um, is okay. What is that fully, you know, referring to? Is it justice in the sense that, that Jedi are peacekeepers and they're there to, to dish out justice and uphold the law? Not necessarily in this context, right? There's, you know, a, there's a couple different ways that this could go. I think that that's mm-hmm. sort of what this calls into question here. Um, and, you know, Duke's arc as a whole, this is sort of the beginning of, of calling these things into question. I, I think that's a, it's a great start to, you know, seeing where these, you know, where these powers are being abused and having this belief that they are serving a greater good, you know, might begin to degrade over time. I, I, right. I think that that's really str- a strong place to start. For sure. And then where we go from there, we see uh, Dooku pair with Mace Windu, to which Mace Windu to me um, is a character that has been so fascinating and has really changed my perception of them as a fan has super, super changed as just as a Star Wars fan. But then I'm also kind of like, 
Mace Windu goes well with everything. Like Mace Windu is like the salt of Star Wars. Is that like yes, he pairs well yeah. with Jar Jar? He pairs well with Anakin. <laughs> like he pairs well with Dooku. Apparently, like seeing Mace Windu react to uh, you know uh, to these other Star Wars characters. Like he's always such. He's not my favorite. Like I, I have lots of frustrations with with Mace Windu as a character, um, but to see him mingle with other star Wars characters. I'm always fascinated to see what his perception is against others in star Wars. So I thought him and Juku, I was like, we saw in the trailer, but I was so pleased to see that they are the ones that are like really in a pair in this. I thought it was great. Well, especially here, you're, you're sort of, I mean, if you're taking Mace Windu from sort of an attack at the clones perspective and a Phantom Menace perspective, you're seeing him as somebody that is not necessarily the wild card of the Jedi council, um, but is sort of the, the uh, strong and solid and, and uh, I guess there's, I don't know if there, if there's a better word for it, but the uh, I guess the, the final voice of, of certain situations. Um, even though he's, you know, he's not irrational in any way. Um, but he has a very commanding sort of, uh, sort of presence when he's paired with somebody. And that's what we see, uh, in, you know, in the films, right. this is sort of that it's taken that sort of commanding side and more of, you know, more morphed it into a strict side, which is interesting. Um, well, because... Mace Windu has always been like a very black and white character, you know, yeah, like he's yeah. always just saw things as like, it's either this or this, and there's no in between. That's how I, I, I'm so frustrated with him. And then also, you know, Dooku is seemingly frustrated too, because he says that, um, his de- devotion to the rules, uh, is, you know, is sometimes inspiring, but then also frustrating. So I'm like, preach Dooku, preach. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so this this interaction with them is also leading to um, uh, another senator um, who was involved in some sort of attack that led to the death of a Jedi. Um, Mace Windu wants the council to lead this investigation. He wants to kind of play inside the rules, whatever that means, whatever the council's uh, um, whatever the council's mandate for him is is that's where they need to sort of operate um but dooku uh is deciding to lead the charge uh in kind of a different way he believes that there are you know uh, there is some gray area there that there is also some room for suspicion where mace windu is so devoted to uh, these rules which also i was like hey that's what Andor is dealing with. Like that's uh, Cyril <laughs> Karn is like, that's kind of his whole thing. So it was great to see those two in conversation. But um, of course, Dooku's suspicions are correct. Uh, there is a standoff. Um, Dooku kind of goes too far, coerces a confession out of this senator, um, realizes that the security de- uh, security detail was uh, to blame for the death of this Jedi, which leads to not only the death of one of these security officers, um, which kind of helps Dooku realize the um, hypocrisy of the Jedi's mandate and where they believe, you know, their allegiances uh, should align. And then also Dooku learns that because of Mace Windu's actions on this mission, he has just like, you know, conveniently been granted this newly open seat on the Jedi Council, which I'm sure doesn't help things. Yeah, there, there's sort of an air to this to this episode and this this moment in Dooku's career as a Jedi um, where 
that again, like you said, is sort of called into question of their service. And I think what's sort of interesting about this one specifically is that you kind of get this idea that um, that within the Senate, um, there's sort of that that splitting apart, that splintering um, of different sectors. And I guess the question there is, okay, great. What does that mean for what does that mean for the Republic? What does that mean for the Jedi who are, you know, called to serve the, you know, at this point called to serve the Senate. Um, And now that the Senate is splintering apart, great. Which side are we going to be on? Because now we have to choose a side um, where, you know, if you let these independent systems be independent and do their own thing, as peacekeepers, if you've already been lulled into protecting, you know, the the sanctity of the Republic, but mm-hmm. the Republic is now starting to dissipate and, and and turn into this thing that doesn't agree with itself, um, then there has to be some kind of choice made um, on the Jedi's part. And having that called into question is really interesting because even still, I'm sure there would be, there would probably be among the Jedi council and the Jedi as a whole, there would probably be disagreement on whether or not they actually serve the Senate or they serve the people of the Republic at this point. If if that's the, you know, the mantra that we're holding on to, if that's the, uh, you know, the thesis statement here, then what are they to do with situations like these where Jedi are now getting in the way of these conflicts where they're called to be, you know, sort of the, the chaperones. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also, I would like, I disagree with Mace and I disagree with Dooku in this time because I don't personally believe that like the Jedi are there to protect people of the Republic. I think the Jedi are there to like maintain peace and protect the light. Like the Jedi are there to, in the interest of the force, like they're not there in interest of the Senate or the, even the council. So Mace Windu's devotion to the council as a, very um uh you know uh, going within the the guardrails so to speak and and whatever you do in, in that it just has to be to the order and uh, you can't deviate from that at all and whatever they deem the council deems to be okay as long as you're operating within that it's great um where duco obviously disagrees with that um i think that it was great that um Uh, you know, uh, Dooku has a conversation with one of these guards to where he kind of like recognizes the hypocrisy, you know, of what's happening. And he says something along the lines of like, I like, he essentially condones what he is doing and the reasons why he's doing it. He just doesn't condone like what he actually did, which again was another thing of like Dooku, you're literally talking to your, like you could be talking to yourself in 10 years is like, I understand why you're doing this, but your methodology is, is flawed. And so it was just like really heartbreaking in a way to see that and understanding that Dooku's perspective you know, initially maybe starts from a good place and his frustration with the Jedi starts from a good place. But based on these people around him, he just becomes completely disillusioned, which is what we see in the next episode, the Sith Lord, um, which was great. Uh, I really, really loved this. It was like favorite, a espresso favorite. shot of Star Wars. It was just like everything that you could want. It was just fantastic um, because uh, not only do you get like great canon details, but like, you know, Dooku deleting the Kamino from the Jedi archives, talking with Jocasta New about events that happened during the Phantom Menace. Um, but we also get to see his 
final interaction, presumably with Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon speaks highly of Obi-Wan. And there's some very like winky kind of like, uh, kind of dialogue of Dooku being like, well, I hope to meet him one day. He speaks so highly of him. And you know, Obi-Wan is like Qui-Gon or uh, Qui-Gon's like, Obi-Wan will be there to protect me. And it was just kind of like, you know, uh, (laughs) all around. Um, But then uh, we also get to see Dooku respond to Qui-Gon's death is like kind of like the final straw like that breaks and Kevin Kiner knows what he's doing, man. God, he, knows he knows what, what he's, he's doing, doing to me. Yeah. Pulling on those heartstrings. Uh, and then we, you know, see him interact with Sidious and being confronted by Yaddle. We get to hear Yaddle speak, you know, voiced by Bryce Dallas Howard. And All right. we get a conflict got, between the I've, two of them. Go I've ahead. Got, I've got a gripe. I've got a gripe. Go for it. Is Yoda stupid? <laughs> Is he dumb? Like, so, yeah. So Yaddle, uh, has been has spoken in the high republic books apparently i haven't gotten that far but yaddle speaks normally um and like luke says yoda speaks in riddles so we don't know if it's like a dialect thing we don't know where yoda's from yoda might have an accent you know (laughs) and that's just one of those things where it's like okay there's a difference between like speaking rhodian and speaking basic right yeah if we're assuming that maybe this has something to do with with his language, it's just pig Latin then. Like that's that's what it is. So like did Yoda like go to school or I just it's it was so funny to me. Like Yaddle started talking and I was like, it's Bryce Dallas Howard doing a funny accent. And then I was like, wait a minute, she's not talking backwards. Yeah. She's not doing like the Yoda speak. I think Wait. Grogu <laughs> Grogu will be the the deciding factor. Maybe oh, Yaddle's the be. outlighter, you know, but is Grogu yeah, going to speak Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Ba- was like, you know? I was like, is, is Yaddle like bilingual maybe? Is that how this is? Like, is she yeah. just like, she's really accomplished? So I don't know. It was just funny to me. I was like, why... Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see uh, how it's uh, obviously Grogu is is you know the 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 only remaining uh, Yodian <laughs> that we haven't heard speak confirmed uh, confirmed uh, confirmed name confirmed confirmed Yodian. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was great to to see Yaddle in this, but in this episode we finally get we finally get like Dooku's final turn towards the dark side, kind of that final step that he takes, and. Also, just getting to that point to where he has become the very thing that he was fighting against, just like Anakin did, just like a lot of Darksiders, you know, eventually become. Um, And then also this thing that we like we were talking about with Andor is like Dooku is frustrated with Sidious because he's like, Maul didn't have to kill Qui-Gon and uh, Sidious, voiced by Ian McDermott, by the way, is like, well, it seems like we both lost apprentices today. And Dooku is just like, oh, well, I guess you're right. It's just like, that's the (laughs) guy that you're fighting against and, you know, gets to the point where he has to fight Yaddle and then, you know realizing that or believing that he is too far gone the same way that Palpatine manipulated Kylo and made him believe that he, you know, that next step that he took, it didn't matter if it was the right choice. He's still too far. Nobody could ever, you know, accept what he did. Um, So this episode is one that I'm seeing a lot of people be as like a fan favorite. And I totally understand why it's fantastic. Yeah. There's a lot of this where obviously the signs are there. Um, The writings on the wall that, that Dooku is, a, a reflection of of what will happen to Anakin. Um, yeah. But I think that there's not, you know, there's not been more concrete evidence uh, than an arc like this to show that this is sort of the same path of the distrust of the Jedi and the eventual sort of self-preservation that turns into 
you know, that turns into service into the dark side. Um, I would have liked to see, seen a little bit more of that sort of like, why, why, you know, they mentioned Sifo-Dyas and why does Dooku begin doing these things? At what point does he decide that, that it's, you know, in his best interest, um, to, to make these choices, um, that lead to that, that, breaking of the, the the straw you know the final straw of having to having to kill yaddle um there's just a lot of that there that i'm like oh my goodness this is so it's so juicy just full of full of stuff that full like of star wars juice i cannot believe it i was yeah the whole episode, I was like, no way, no yeah, way. So great. Yeah. And I think you were talking about, I was like, what gets Dooku to the point to where he makes this decision, I think is like precisely the, the, the thesis of the prior two episodes is like, uh, ideologically, this is what Dooku, you know, kind of realizes and why he becomes disillusioned with the Jedi and why he becomes the leader of the very movement that is like separating away from the Republic. So yeah, I think all three of these episodes um, are really great alone, but I think that they also are in conversation with the other Ahsoka episodes. So uh, the first episode uh, is one that we talked about. We've talked about before on the show. I I saw it at Star Wars Celebration called Life and Death. Uh, It shows uh, a baby Ahsoka, an infant Ahsoka and her village taken on this hunt and kind of learning the the you know uh circle of life or the symbiotic circle if you want to use the star wars terms for it and then learning to not succumb to fear i think that that's kind of the biggest thing thematically that ties justice and uh you know uh life and death these two episodes uh that ahsoka even in these young days of infancy the fear of this space tiger saber tooth tiger thing like she doesn't succumb to the fear of wanting to uh you know attack it or lash out at it and to also you know uh use a little insider knowledge at star wars celebration filoni did speak about this moment and was asked you know if ahsoka was you know using the force in this moment or is just not not afraid to which filoni replied what's the difference which is a very filoni thing to say absolutely um but yeah i think it's i think it's a great point is that in this moment, she doesn't reach out in the force and retaliation or anger or even fear even is that she just understands or maybe even not on a conscious level, just feels the, 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 that's very symbiotic circle between the two of them to where Dooku, uh, uh, when he is proposed with this fear, uh, lashes out and tries to kill the Senator and Qui-Gon is really the only one that is able to talk him down which is a great parallel to, you know, the, 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 you know, the, um, the Sith Lord, the final episode to where unlike Qui-Gon who is trying to talk down his master, Palpatine is in his ear talking him up and is like, no, you're, you know, it's too far. And this is really the Qui-Gon being the angel and Sidious, the, the, the devil on Dooku's uh, shoulders, I thought was really, really great. Yeah. There's the, the, I think that this episode, this first episode for Ahsoka's arc um, is it's an interesting point to to bring things because the you know the the question can be made of like okay well you know what was Ahsoka you know doing before she was taken to the Jedi Council and or before she was taken to uh, you know the Jedi Temple on Coruscant and this this and that but realistically the you know showing that the important part is that that response in a like primal sense of the, you know, the entire life that's around you, the, you know, the living force moving through everything and your connection to it, um, being kind of that soul 
sort of, uh, you know, the, 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 the one thing that you can rely on. And it's interesting that, um, this episode, especially, you know, showcases that in saying that, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, how did, how did Ahsoka, you know, not get absolutely eaten by this, by this tiger thing? And they're like, oh, she must be, she must be Jedi. She must, you know, she must have the force. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting thing to think about when you, you know, when you at least take into consideration, um, Dave Filoni's quote there of, you know, what's the difference between using the force and not being afraid or connecting with the force and not being afraid. Um, but that the perception is that she's, you know, she's meant to be a Jedi, which is very interesting that it's like, yeah, the, it's not that you were, that you have the ability to do this thing. It's that you're, you know, capable of connecting, right? It's not well, a magic power. Not even know? just that, uh, like the, 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 the ancestor in the village, like the elder doesn't just say like, she has the force. She says that she's a Jedi, meaning that yes. like she used this ability in her, nothing that she's been trained to use and used it instinctually for light rather mm-hmm. than what we see with, with Dooku, something, this power that he has and the way that he sees his power is to, you know, uh, kind of inflict his own perception of what is right and wrong. Uh, it's, yeah, it's definitely a contrast for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's at least interesting. I, I kind of came out of the episode being like, okay, I'm going to have to see where this sort of, where this is sort of either juxtaposed or sort of confirmed. And I think, I think the rest of the series does a good job of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the episode after this, well, not, not quite the fourth episode in this, uh, which is called practice makes perfect, um, shows a Padawan Ahsoka, uh, in the early days of the clone wars, um, training, um, outside like the conventions of the Jedi order, uh, as opposed to uni- using these training remotes to which she kind of seemingly is in lockstep with Han is like, you know, training against the remote uh, remote is one thing and against the living is something else, uh, kind of agrees. Uh, and her and Anakin, uh, train hard against Rex and his men, uh, to where they all circle her in a perimeter and fire stuns at her to where she eventually gets to the point that not only is she able to block all of these stuns, but then we also see in order 66 of season seven that she is able to use these in a survival scenario. Um, I thought this episode was really well done, not only in an isolated sense, because we get to see Obviously, that payoff of her in Order 66 and using that training specifically, something that Anakin trained her to do. But then also we get to see Anakin in a way that's like, that's so Anakin, is that he is training her to do this. He's like, I've been tasked with your, to be your master, to give you the skills necessary to survive in these dangerous situations and that he's giving it to her, not just in a sense of like, you need to survive and I'm your master and that's my job. But also like if something happened to you, I couldn't forgive myself, which is like such an Anakin thing to do. But then also from like a conversational perspective, I like that this episode is showing Ahsoka technically in, in a way going on the outsides of the order, exploring things on the outside in a way that's not damaging or hurting other people but is it exploring in a way that is challenging to herself much like Dooku is trying to do and Mace Windu is urging her or is, or is urging uh, Dooku not to do is to go outside the order so I thought both of these episodes uh, worked really well together um, uh, independently but also in conversation with one another yeah it's an interesting thing I, I almost like if you watch this episode 
And if somebody said like, well, actually at the very beginning of Clone Wars, all the way back in 2008, like they had the foresight uh, of all of this. And, uh, and then, you know, this episode is a result of, you know, they knew all the way back then that they were going to do this. I believe you because this just connects so perfectly with Mm -hmm. obviously what we know of Anakin and Ahsoka together. um, Like you had said, kind of having that shade of, you know, this is so Anakin. Um, but also in the sense of knowing that Ahsoka would be the perfect Padawan for Anakin, um, Mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, his, obviously his nature is to, is to do things differently and, and forge his own path. And from what we see of Ahsoka post, uh, Clone Wars and everything, uh, it's, vital that she has, you know, that she has formed her own identity and not, not with the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so interesting that his, you know, his teaching, obviously I love that, you know, all the way back in the the Clone Wars movie, he's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a teacher, so I don't really know what to do with you. And so she gets a lot of her, you know, her mannerisms, her behavior, her instincts from him yeah. um, that, that this is something that would be so intentional and make so much sense in the context of what ends up happening in Clone Wars season seven. It's just, yeah. it, it ties together really nicely. Yeah. And I think it's something that is like, you're right, really capitalizes on that relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka. And you see that side of her that she's like super determined, but also stubborn as hell in that she is like, unwilling to give up uh and also just really determined and that in this honestly i would the first one how long was i out for 90 minutes i'm good you know i'll stick with the training (laughs) remotes you know but no she tries and continues to try and there's a a really great transition to where we see her and then and with like the phase three clone trooper helmets and everything and she's able to block for so much longer and it was like oh cool and then we see her like (laughs) getting tagged by Jesse and he's like, sorry. And then at the end of the episode, her walking out to the battalion of stormtroopers at the end of season seven with Jesse there, of course, yes. I was just like, Filoni, you son of a bitch. <laughs> no, uh, they, just like he, brutal. He knew exactly what he was doing. Of course he does. A man in yeah. a cowboy hat. Come on. <laughs> he's got, he's got all the evil tricks. Uh, other, what, what else is hiding under that hat? Uh, but yeah, the last episode in this uh, series is titled Resolve. Um, we see Ahsoka post Order 66 hiding out uh, in this um, small village after we see her um, at the funeral of Padme, which also it was just like the Filoni just smacking the trauma button. It was just like, yes. good God, man. Uh, but it was great to see that. It's always really fun to see like we did with the Dooku episode. It's like you know this story, but what was happening around the corner, you know, like that, that's really the super star Wars as yeah, well. Give me more of that. Give me more Absolutely. of that. Yeah. And we see a conversation with her and bail to where he kind of like extends his, you know, last kind of path of communication is like, if you ever need anything, there's a great moment to where he's talking to clones, but you know, quote unquote talking to clones, but he's really talking to her. That was all really great. But, um, we see her at this village Pulling a Calcastus, uh, trying to save somebody, reaching out in the forest and putting themselves as well as others in danger. One of the villagers catches wind of this, uh, feels like that she is, you know, putting his his village in danger um, and also is like an empire sympathizer, uh, uh, the creep, uh, and calls out to the empire. And guess what happens? His entire village burns down and an inquisitor tries to kill him. Um, this, of course, 
amounts to not much of a battle, which I was actually pretty okay with. I thought it yeah. was great. Yeah. Um, that it didn't like play around at all. I would be curious to see if the same people who think that Vader, you know, wouldn't like be much of a, uh, you know, uh, much of a battle to some other Jedi out there that would expect this battle to be much longer. It's like, Oh, you mean these Vader's cronies who he doesn't even respect and smokes whenever given the chance you think that they're going to take Ahsoka to task somebody who has gone up against <laughs> Vader and uh, stood toe to toe and also kind of punked his ass like you think that Ahsoka this is even this is slight work to her I love that it was like blink and it was over like I thought that that was really terrific it stages it as this you know really kick-ass battles about to ensue and it goes full seven samurai and she's just like okay, you're done. You know, yeah. I, I thought that that was, was really great. There's, there's, there is something to be said about kind of the connection there with, um, you know, with Anakin in the, in the previous episode of her arc saying like, if you can, you know, if you can stand up to, to Rex and his boys, then you can face anything on the battlefield. Right. Um, and having her be so apt to handle an inquisitor who unfortunately is the coolest looking inquisitor that we have gotten, but is clearly uh, the least capable uh, inquisitor because he gets super domed just right away. Immediately. Um, Which is hilarious, but um, it's one of those things where you're, you know, you're contradicting or not contradicting, you're juxtaposing, you know, Ahsoka's peaceful, you know, retirement is is a you know to put it lightly um yeah. her exile her hiding um is just stacking hay bales and feeding the cows and yeah. whatnot uh and then trouble comes up and she's like you don't even know who you're messing with and it's awesome yeah. that the inquisitor um recognizes her or at least knows of her um right. this is you know somebody that that the inquisitor is aware of in the sense that he's, you know, he's saying like, Oh, I'm, I'm about to get rewarded for bringing you in because you're one of the, you're one of the top dogs. Well, it's something that we also saw in, in Obi-Wan Kenobi is that like the inquisitors seemingly like know like who the big fish are and like are kind of stoked to catch them, you know? And the inquisitor also voiced by with Clancy Brown was great. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars alum Clancy Brown uh, in numerous roles. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The inquisitor looks great. It's just really unfortunate that they kind of suck at being an inquisitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't even get, they don't even get a title. We don't know what their name is uh, or anything thing because yeah. that's how uh that's how small of a blip on the radar they exactly. are exactly <laughs> yeah um as far as like the the conversation that this is having with other episodes i thought it was maybe less obvious than some of the other ones were but i think ultimately it's the sense of you know this you've taken this step this thing has happened and not only is it showing their reaction to that what, what where they decide to go uh in in light of that but then also once the opposition comes to your door and tries to offer you a different path, and I'm not even just talking about the Inquisitor, I'm talking about this dipshit kid in this village, you know, like what does she do to them? Like she spares his life and saves him and, and lets him kind of learn, you know, of, of what happened. And then also this idea of this thing in the sense of order that you think is going to help you is actually going to just make things much worse, which is also, I think was what, what 
is happening with Dooku as well. Unfortunately, Yaddle doesn't live to let him see this lesson out, but the sense of this person who you think has the answers, this person who is going to do the thing that you think that you want to do is eventually going to get to the point to where, like we saw with the prior episodes, you are going to turn into the very thing that you were disavowing or disapproving of with these other people. Again, where when Dooku says to the security officer, he's like, I believe in what you were, you're the cause, but maybe not your methodology. We see Dooku eventually become this very thing that he, you know, swears to fight against, which is also super dark side. So yeah, this episode for me was probably my least favorite of the bunch. Um, but, uh, I, I think it still is in conversation with, with the other still looks great, but I just don't think narratively there was maybe as much to chew on with the other. So I think by, by, uh, process of elimination was probably my least favorite. Yeah. I, I, I think I would agree with that. My, again, my, uh, determination of sort of what these episodes mean, not only together, but, but individually yeah. is, you know, their core themes in the titles and this being titled resolve. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, you know, Ahsoka fighting off an inquisitor and living to tell the tale, um, and sort of teaching a lesson to an empire sympathizer, I don't know if that screams resolve to me, um, which is kind of my thing of, of narratively you have, you know, you have chosen to not be a Jedi, but you are still choosing to use your, you know, use your, your power and your, your ability and your status, uh, for good. You know, where is that resolve? I, I think it's just a little bit, maybe, it's a little bit overshadowed by the fact that it's a cool action sequence sort of. Um, and Mm. there's not a a whole lot of, like you said, not a whole lot of narrative meat there. Yeah. Well, I'll say, I I think you just said it like her resolve is in deciding that although she's no longer a Jedi, her resolve, her, her decision to, uh, you know, follow a certain, uh, the definition of resolve, I would assume being like your, your, confirmation or your decision to decide on a certain path or a certain set of actions. Um, I think hers is to help others and to maintain the light, which is something that is the mandate of a Jedi and her resolve is in that, although that title has been seemingly stripped away from her, that does not remove her maybe personal mandate you know, uh, to do that. And I think that that's in contrast with what we see is in Mace Windu is that your mandate doesn't come from the council or the Senate or the Republic. It comes from the force and comes from the light side of the force. And you as a Jedi, like we see with Ahsoka in episode one, Ahsoka is a Jedi. Like she is a member of the light and she maintains the light. And I think with what we see her become, especially with Fulcrum too, is that although she is no Jedi, as she would put it, like she still has this resolve to maintain the sense of light throughout the galaxy. And I think that she sees that as her duty. I I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of uh, where the episode uh, leaves us here. Um, And, you know, you and I have made our our, our thoughts clear on these episodes, but I'm curious if you would like to see um, a season two of this, would you like to see other Jedi highlighted or um, are you kind of, did you, did you get your fill of this or were you not moved enough to want to see this, this series continue and highlight other characters? Um, I, I do honestly think that there are, enough there's enough rhymes in star wars uh, to maybe you know to maybe highlight um some more stuff 
honestly, I love that we get some more canon prequel stuff that that you know, like you said, is sort of that around the corner, what's going on type thing. Yeah. Um, but I would honestly love to see. Uh, I'd love to see some stuff with Ben Solo, maybe, um, mm-hmm. and with with him as sort of the antithesis to another character. Um, whether it's you know whether it's in the same time period or not. Um, yeah. but that story is for sure waiting to be told. I wonder about the reception of this and and whether or not that's something that that you know Star Wars and and Disney Plus will be apt to do again. Um, again, like I I don't feel negatively about this thing. I hope that I hope that it's understood the way that it's supposed to be presented. So yeah, I'd I'd be I'd definitely be curious to see to see more of this. Yeah. I think if we're going to explore different eras, like the Clone Wars is something that we spend a lot of time with Jedi, and there are definitely lots of episodes that are like, okay, here's a Kit Fisto episode, here's a Plo Koon episode. As much as I love that era, the Clone Wars era is my my favorite Star Wars era. I think it would be a really great way to kind of soft launch other Star Wars eras. And like, uh, you know, here's a few episode arc of the High Republic and introduce people to that. Like, you know, the same way that this could be kind of a gateway two animated star wars for people it's like you haven't watched the clone wars that's fine here's three episodes on count dooku you know you don't need to have seen anything else that's mace windu there's count dooku you get it you know like that to me could be really interesting to explore that but then also you know maybe exploring uh some some other characters that we don't quite know as much about quinlan voss could be really cool um i think you're right on it with with ben solo because i think that you remove the practical you know, the difficulties of that. It was like, okay, well, do you bring Adam driver back and de-age him and all that kind of stuff? If you do animated, that's great. Like, uh, we've already explored him in animation with the Lego specials. So I would really like to see that, um, even more. Um, but yeah, I think different eras could be really great. And I think the juxtaposition is, is an important one. It's not just, you know, here's a, cool story of Quinlan Voss doing a cool thing. I think pairing him with someone who is an interesting footing could be really interesting. So if it's been solo, maybe show a young Obi-Wan or something like that as a Padawan. And what are the trials and tribulations of, of someone, you know, who is trying to figure out this, you know, this, uh, all of this, or even a, you know, a young Han or something and trying to fill the, the boots of this, this legendary sort of status. So I, I think there's uh, lots of different directions that this could go. I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah. I, I would be curious to know if, if this is something that they're considering, uh, renewing for another little season, I guess it's so weird to call it like a season or a series or, <laughs> yeah. or whatever, but yeah, I, I'd be curious to know the reception. Obviously we'll get a little bit more of that, uh, as time goes on. We sure will, but, uh, no, I think that about does it very long episode today. Lots of stuff to discuss. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I have no final thoughts. I am out of thoughts. You are tapped out. I know it's late on your end, so let's go ahead and wrap it up and take us home. For sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at ScumVillainPod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Melody George. Garrett McDowell. And may the force be with you. We'll see you next time. See you guys.